Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching. This is the Go Movie Podcast. My name is Angel. I am Julius. This is a show where we love talking about movies, television, comics, pop culture, and anything that we're passionate about talking about. On this episode, we're going to be doing the series finale of Julius's pitch for Secret Wars Part 2. Last episode, we did Secret Wars Part 1, and it ended on a crazy note. I highly recommend that all of you go back to Secret Wars Part 1 video and finish that. Do yourself a favor, my friend. Exactly. Finish that entire bad boy because it ends where the war begins. And it is epic. we're, We're leading into the grand finale of it all. Julius has done pitches for the X-Men into the MCU leading up into with the Fantastic Four, all four parts, which has led us to Secret Wars. Now, today is the big day. We are here to finish this pitch finale, and I cannot be more excited. Julius, I'm ready you, to. What do you see? What are you about to say? <laughs> I'm ready to pop my my cherry. <laughs> I was just gonna ask you, what what do you find has been the most rewarding experience about you know writing these pitches and and having people listen to them? Well, I think the number one thing that has gotten me excited about this has been your reaction. You know, hearing some of this this uh, stuff. You know, uh, and our discussions afterwards, I know some people might feel like, oh, well, that's kind of (laughs) narcissistic, but um, I just think you, you relay the audience. I've said that before, you know, going to the movies with you was a very big uh, part of the movie going experience for me. You know, I think you embody the audience very well. You know, you're excited. You love film. It always, you know, boggles my mind when I see someone on YouTube who's talking about movies, but it's very clear they don't love movies. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's it's very bizarre to me. Like, why are you wasting your time with that? You know, where I think you are a Blu-ray angel. You're, you know, <laughs> you're the cinema memes guy. So I think you're the perfect person to voyage on this quest with of stories. I think you get it. And I think we can have very insightful discussions about, you know, something as uh, two dimensional as a comic book. You know, we've talked about comic books, whether you're pitching ideas or I'm not, or, or, or I am, or we're not. And we love talking about the books, the movies, the news, everything. And the yeah. fact that this series has been going on for nearly two years, that's wild. Uh, I'm happy that this, writing has transformed into something that's more of an audio drama at this point, especially with these two videos or possibly three, depending on how long this story I'm reading is um, because it's going to be longer than the first part. I'm, I'm just, it, it, there's no doubt in my mind that it might <laughs> very well be longer. This could very well be in total, a four hour podcast. I hope you're ready, <laughs> Angel. Um, I don't, this is weird, man. I woke up this morning listening to some of those playlists that I made when I was writing the Fantastic Four stuff, the X-Men stuff years ago. And uh, it, I won't lie. It's a bit emotional, man. It, it is, it is crazy to get to this point. You know, I was uh, around this time last year, I was picturing how this would be, this very video would be, you know, this very story would be i was walking around the rose ball coming up with all these ideas about this part right now and thinking what if what if we did get to that point what if we had the will to 
uh, get to that point? What if Angel had the patience to listen to all this shit? And here we are, man. So I'm very excited. I'm very grateful to you and the listeners. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that this is, um, you know, epic. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it will be. And, you know, I really love everything that you said. I really appreciate it because, you know, those movie experiences are my favorite memories. So it's always a blast. I love movies to death and I love, uh, you know, talking about all this stuff with you because it just makes me more excited for the stuff that we're looking forward to. For the, I, for the real shit? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> for the real stuff, you know. The real stuff offers, you know, a path for us to imagine all this stuff and, and think of alternate versions of like, oh, what if this could happen? What if this happens? And then it allows us to compare it to the real stuff that actually happens and be like, oh man, this, this was an interesting route as well. And just all those comparisons are so much fun. And I think that's what, those are like the, the best kinds of things about fandom, you know, just being able to live out our wildest dreams, you know, whether it be on a page, whether it be uh, through a video game or through a movie and stuff like that. Yeah. It's awesome. So, you know, I, I, I have a blast doing this kind of stuff and I just can't wait to see the the end of all this. Cause I've been there from the first X-Men pitch and now we're leading up to here to, to literally secret wars. Yeah, finale, man. It's going to be crazy. I'm excited. I'm excited what you got cooked up for everybody. Well, I got this cooked up right here. <laughs> Look at that. That's an awesome cut, man. And I got I got this special shirt right here. Woo! Look at that. I remember that shirt. Oh, that's epic. Had to. Had to get dressed for the case. And I wanted to show these very quickly. <laughs> I wish I had the original series run, the original uh, trade of Secret mm -hmm. Wars, but the closest thing I have are the Jonathan Hickman series. I don't know if it, it looks reversed Ooh. on my end, but I have the all nine issues of this series from Jonathan Hickman, <laughs> arts by Isad Rebic. This is a very big influence on this story, uh, as is the original story. But I just wanted to show these off because these, I mean, Alex Ross did the covers for all these Um Oh shit! <laughs> uh, I got. I, mean, I you can't really see them, but Look you know. That. Yeah, man, that's glorious. Uh, I just want to show those. I love don't drop show. your comics. <laughs> I, I drop myself immediately. <laughs> oh man, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna ask you to do like a a, a wrap up or 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 um. Uh, previously on secret wars for the last part because it is a lot of stuff and it was only a couple days ago when we recorded that so i'm not going to do that to you but um i'm excited man i'm excited uh, i'm gonna set something up why don't you talk to the people very quickly while i do that yeah for sure um, well for those of you who are listening now we're about to get started your list is going to get set up and stuff like that yeah but i think one thing that you have to know is before we get started, the very ending of that last pitch, I thought was such a great cliffhanger and pretty climactic in itself. We had all the Spider-Man coming together with Phil Coulson, uh, trying to take back New York from all these realities spilling over into each other. And I thought that was pretty epic, uh, pretty epic. And it got me really excited to see where this is going to begin. Is it going to begin seconds after the first pitch ends? Is it going to end on a different scene? Are we back with Reed and Franklin, you know, near the Savage Lands and stuff like that? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am very ecstatic. And, you know, the end of that last pitch, too, was pretty sad. We did talk about Dr. Strange's death uh, last episode at the very end in our, like, epilogue portion. And I just thought it was a – even with all the bleak moments that Julius creates – they tend to be very beautiful. For example, um, they remind me of like how James Gunn handles death scenes. I think the primary example would be Groot dying in the first guardians. 
super sad and, and bleak and stuff like that, but it's also beautiful at the same time. So expect several moments like this, I would say, in this next pitch, um, which Julius is about to get started. Hey, man, damn, son. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one thing I got to show you before that, and by the way, thank you very much. That is that is a very uh, nice compliment. I take that very much to heart, that James Gunn comparison um, in terms of his writing, uh, not on Twitter. But thank you very much. <laughs> I got to show you one thing before we get started. The antithesis of our visual aids when it comes, not <laughs> when it comes to this. Are you ready? Let me see it. Can you see it? Ooh, bro, look at that. Oh, my God. That is beautiful, man. Look at Doom's armor. Oh, my God. It looks like he's got some Mandalorian Beskar armor on him, man. <laughs> <laughs> looks like he's just had enough he's just had enough man look at that and i gotta tell you john krasinski looks pretty epic i mean i'm starting to see it yeah. i'm starting to see it <laughs> and that's beautiful that's awesome that's awesome man all right man it's wow. now or never angel it's now or no <laughs> we started the first one with uh, breaking bad impressions we're gonna end the, it's now or never walter <laughs> okay are you ready, Angel? I'm ready. Let's hear it. All right. This is Secret Wars 2, written by me. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Our final story begins in the past, years and years ago, before the rise of doom and the destruction of Earth, before the fall of Avengers and their return. Our story begins on a farm, an alien farm where Reed Richards digs deep and deep into the ground, making plenty of space for his seeds. A young voice from behind calls him, and it's his son, Franklin Richards, giving him the bag of seeds themselves. This memory is set on the planet Zen La, home to those like Norrin Rad. In a week, Reed will leave the planet to ask for the help of his friends, Susan Storm, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, so that they can save the Zenian people from extinction. This scene is set a week before the events of Fantastic Four, one for all. Franklin tells his father, the people are worried. This virus, it's too much for them to handle, Dad. That's why I'm going to fix it. Make this a place where you and your sister can grow up and be happy. Worry about your own children for a change. Franklin chuckles. <laughs> Sounds fun. Dad, do you ever look at what you do from a different perspective? Farming? Asks the father. Being a superhero. It's wild, isn't it? Just being there to save the day again and again and again. I've only done it once when we met. And now, with Zen Law, it's too much. Since when did saving the world become so goddamn complicated? It became complicated when brats like Hugh got involved, Reed jokes. The father and son laugh together, and the still ambiance of Zen La helps make this a treasured memory. But that's all it is. A memory. A memory brought on by Reed's deep meditation. He sits in the swamplands of New Kamartage, in the southern hemisphere of a world controlled by Dr. Doom. Leading the meditation, masters of sorcery and martial arts, Brother Voodoo, Wong, the Iron Fist, and Shang-Chi. 
all Reed's teachers, preparing him for his journey into the heart of the multiverse to gain the energy of the Beyonders. He must shed himself of pain, joy, misery, and compassion. This is difficult for him, having just lost his son a week ago. Memories of deep emotional value that help retain the spirit of his boy, his daughter, his family, his enemies, and all his mistakes must be relinquished. The energy he seeks costs most people their lives, but he is meant for more. Reed Richards is destined to save the multiverse before its imminent destruction by the hands of Dr. Doom. A visitor approaches the meditation circle, and it's Doom's former sheriff of Agamotto, Baron Mordo. Mordo is the latest to be excommunicated by Doom. He tells them that Doom's plan is not to conquer. But before he can say any more, he's interrupted by Reed, who calls him an untrustworthy murderer. For you see, Mordo is the one who killed Franklin Richards, albeit on accident. But it doesn't matter to Reed right now. All he can know is that this man killed his boy. Reed is persuaded by Voodoo to calm down, and he asks Mordo what Doom's plan really is. Project Renewal, Mordo tells them. A scheme designed for God to regain his lost power. When creating this world 15 years ago, Victor Von Doom had used most of his Beyonder power, stealing cities and people from other worlds, other universes. He forced the god of mischief Loki to plant a way of regaining that lost energy. The tree Yggdrasil, a conduit of the multiverse. For over a decade, that tree and that power he's missed has been growing right in his castle. We know he's been Ill building the energy. The question is what exactly he will do with it once he's ready, asks Voodoo. He will shred the multiverse down, making any chance of other versions of us, or more frighteningly, himself, less likely to come and challenge him for his power. It's not just about building a utopia, says Wong. No, it's about creating the strongest civilization that reality has ever known. With no signs of weakness, Mordo finishes. And how can we trust you? asks Reed. Because I have seen it, says a deeper voice. And from the mists of the swamp, Uatu the Watcher joins them. You've seen many things, says Reed, including Franklin's death. But you can say anything then, right? Only when you and the devil himself are in peril do you come out. No matter how angry you are towards destiny, it remains destiny, Richards. We cannot escape it, Uwatu says. Reed is quiet, and with a dark look towards Baron Mordo, he leaves the meditation circle. He makes his way to a quiet area, deep in the heart of the swamp. This anger is weighing on top of him, but he is an educated and enlightened man. Surely there must be a way to act productive, to act in a way that Franklin would have hoped him to. He sits down, breathing in and out with eyes closed. Richards begins to see many sights, visions, and images. Visions of Ben, of Valeria, of Norn, of the destruction of Earth, his past failures, his fight against the Maker, his deep love with Susan years and years ago, and his son. But now, the images start to shift, and they move beyond his subconscious. He starts making the image of a book, of pages flipping back and forth. All the pages are blank, and they flip at incredible speed. Now, he sees Victor in a dark room, once his friend, now his enemy. He sees Doom destroying the multiverse with its omnipotence, one galaxy at a time. 
Endless screams are heard, and destruction is imminent. But now, the image shifts. It's no longer Doom destroying. It's Reed, with a devilish grin and a dead look in his eye. The imagery is too much to handle, and he opens his eyes, catching his breath. What did the images mean? Perhaps it had more to do with his anger, because now, it's gone. He feels different, lighter, open. As if the revolution that was about to begin, the war that was about to start, was as simple to solve as a math equation. Later, Reed walks back to Voodoo, Wong, Mordo, and Uatu. He's steady and able. I'm ready. I'm ready to end this, he tells them. Uatu replies, So you are. Marvel Studios intro. <laughs> On the island of Atlantis, it's midday, and the Black Panther T'Challa, his sister Shuri, and their guard Okoye lead a small group of freed Wakandans to prison camps holding more of their people. The main guards, Tiger Shark and Namorita, stand attentively, making sure that the Africans keep their shot collars on and mine more coal. The camp is split in half, and on the non-Wakandan side, captured mutants are held. Former heroes with shock collars, such as Colossus, Jubilee, Kitty Pride, Havoc, Gambit, and Rogue, all have been forced to fight against Wakandans in Namor's sick gladiatorial ring. With his radio, T'Challa checks in with his former fellow prisoner, asking if she's ready. In the prison itself is Susan Storm, who is invisible. She approaches M'Baku, one of T'Challa's allies, telling him that she already arranged it with the X-Men Colossus and that they could use his help in staging a fight. Moments later, M'Baku and Colossus get into a brawl, distracting the guards of the prison. With mutant and Wakandans crowding it, it takes a minute for Tiger Shark and Namorita to get right into the middle of the fray. Once they do, they notice that the mutant and gorilla leader were faking it. The prisoners have the Atlanteans surrounded. Namorita reaches for her switch to activate their shot collars, but it's gone. It was grabbed by the invisible woman, and Susan teases her with the device as she frees the prisoners around. As more guards come in, the Black Panther, Okoye, and Shuri fight them off, and quickly, the Wakandans and mutants follow his lead. As a brawl starts, T'Challa grabs Namorita, demanding access to Namor's war tower. That's where Storm is, and she is used as Namor's defense weapon. You and your merry bunch of savages will be too busy drowning before you can reach her, Namor Yehida yells. T'Challa knocks her out, and more Atlantean soldiers charge directly at him. But he doesn't have to face the threat alone. He is joined by an army of Wakandans and mutants. They fight the oncoming guards, making their way towards Atlantean palaces, and the revolution begins. In the house of Wanda Von Doom, the Scarlet Witch stands with the yo-yo of the vision. She's nervous, erratic. She's decided that the actions of herself and Dooms are unacceptable, and the damage they've done to the world and their family is irreversible. However, maybe she can still do some good. At that moment, she's joined by her twin boys, Wakan and Speed. What is it, Mom? Are we going to go to war with the rest of the world now? Asks Speed. Wakan adds, Because complete subjugation to mutants, our own kind, by the way, wasn't enough. Wanda comes to her kids, telling them that they are right. They've always been. 
what she and their father had done to the world and their people is terrible. And from this point, things are going to change. But she promises they will change for the better. Behind Wakan and Speed enters Scott Summers, who is guided by his daughter Hope. The two were summoned by Wanda, and reluctantly, Scott accepted her invitation, but he demands to know what she wants. She wants him to know that the time of the mutants has returned, and that he must lead his people to revolution. She was wrong when she took away most of the mutants' powers. They need guidance, and that's where Scott comes in. She, know she shows them all a screen of security footage from Atlantis, except Scott, who is blind. The rebellion is described to him by Hope. Mutants and Wakandans leading the charge. They don't have much time, for the maestro is coming. Why, Wanda? Why did this happen? Why did you help Doom before your own kind? Asks Scott. I assumed, she responds, that he could help me. He was a god, and I wanted him to bring back my brother and my father. But it turns out he just can't resurrect anyone ever again. That's not true. He already has, says Hope. But how would she know? Because she inherited some powers of telepathy from her mother, Jean Grey. She can also tap into the power of the Phoenix, but has been deterred by her mother out of fear. Wanda asks how she knows this. How could she know that he's already resurrected someone? And it's because she's looked into Doom's mind. She saw who he brought back to life. Wanda demands to know who it is. Why, why would Doom lie to her? But they're interrupted by the maestro who enters the throne room with his first officer, Patch, who was once known as Logan Howlett, the Wolverine. The maestro says, It won't matter. You're a traitor, and I smash traitors. My hulks are already working on your city. I'll find more, and they'll be smashed. Wanda's eyes turn red, and a pointed band appears on her forehead. I'm sorry, Bruce. As she uses her energy to blast the maestro away, he crashes through her wall, all the way into the outskirts of the city. Patch is still there, and he comes up to attack Wanda. You're gonna re regret that, sweetheart. And though he's blind, Scott recognizes the voice, almost instantly. Logan? He asks. Patch stops, looking at Scott. How the hell do you know that name? It's me. It's Scott. Logan grabs his head as it burns with different memories. Wanda approaches him, offering to clear things up. She uses her power of shifting reality to bring back Logan's memory of everything. He's finally himself again. Slowly, he readjusts himself, looking around, and then to Scott, who he notices is blind. Scott asks him what he remembers, and he remembers Doom sucking all the adamantium out of his bones. And then... Banner, he growls. In a huff, Logan leaves the, or the room, going after the maestro. Scott asks Wanda if he can restore everyone and everything, and he means everyone's memory. But she can, but it took a lot out of her to do so. Just for one person, it will take everything she has for the rest. She needs to build up that energy. Below, the sound of mutant cries can be heard along with destruction and Wakan and Speed are about to go and help. But before they do, Wanda gives them one last thing, the yo-yo. She tells them, at the right time, you'll know what to do with it. I am so proud of you boys. 
The twins go out to the destruction to help as many people as possible. Wanda meditates, recharging herself. To those who feel helpless, stay strong. You will gain numbers soon enough, she whispers. In the east, the evening begins where the deserts and dunes of the savage land end. Johnny Storm, leader of Earth's refugees, helps defend his people against common monsters and zombies. He protects his wife, Alicia, with the help of Carol Danvers, whose power is still depleted, and Cassie Lang, who's fighting the way her mentor, Hope Van Dyne, had taught her. Even though she's slightly nervous, uh, having never fought before, she's still given tips by Hope. Carol asks Johnny how long it'll be until they arrive to the border walls of New Xandar, a city where the people will be safe. He tells her that it's just over this last ridge. Then they can finally rest. But Danvers is concerned and confused. What does he mean rest? They need to regroup and go after Doom. But Johnny has given up on that fight a long time ago. Right now, all that's important is keeping his wife and all the families who look up to him safe. Look what happened to their last home in the canyons. They're being hunted by Thor, and they weren't even a part of this war. But that's exactly why now is the time to fight, which is what Carol argues. They can't keep running in a world that doesn't belong to them. And as they pass the last ridge, the giant walls surrounding the city of New Xandar are seen. Atop the walls, Nova guards patrolling under the command of Richard Ryder. In front of the walls, dust from the sand can be seen. But something worse lays within it. An Asgardian army of soldiers standing in the way of the refugees. Up on the ridge, Johnny and his people look down in worry. How will they get past them? Carol offers to handle it, but Dr. Kamala Khan tells her that she's still weakened, and if she goes down there, she, they won't win, and she will die. Carol tells Khan to take care of her other patients, and Johnny to lead their people in when he finds an opening. He agrees, and weakly, she makes her way down. As Carol approaches the army, she takes a deep breath, trying to figure out another way to beat them, one that won't require any bloodshed. As she gets closer, she sees the leaders of the army, the Pantheons, Hercules, and Ares, the Warriors Three, the refugees' spy, Valkyrie, and their general, Thor, God of Thunder. Thor, Carol says, you're my friend. This is your last chance to back off. Thor laughs aloud and is followed by his army. <laughs> Little woman, he scoffs, you are nothing, especially to me. I would have claimed you for my own, but you muttered the name of my once beloved. Now, your claim to the judgment of doom. Carol retorts, your once beloved? You mean Jane? You think she'd still be your beloved if she saw the way you were today? Hercules yells, enough! The wench is mine! No! Thor yells, she will cut by Stormbreaker's metal. Thor's eyes brighten with lightning as he lifts his weapon of the same name. Carol takes a deep breath, but grips her fists just the same. It's her versus him, and she'll go down fighting. As Thor approaches, he summons dark blue lightning that zaps every step behind him, an intimidation tactic reminiscent of when a peacock spreads its tail. As he approaches, something bizarre happens. More lightning is summoned, but it's not his. A lighter blue surrounds them, and it is shown off to the armies of Asgard. Landing in front of Carol and Thor is Jane Foster with her hammer, Mjolnir in hand. 
Thor is stunned at the sight, having previously thought she was killed. It took me a while to figure out this world's constellations, but finally found you, she tells Thor. Jane looks back at Carol, telling her, I got this. Thor demands to know what devilry, what trickery this is. Surely his brother Loki escaped his cell in Doomstun. But no, this is really her. She tells Thor that he saved her from doom years ago. By using the Bifrost to send her to safety, she was found by the Watcher and woke up in this world. A warped world where it's controlled by a madman who somehow gained hold of her love. She speaks to the Asgardians as a whole, asking whether they're happy to have given up their dignity as a royal people to stand for a man ready to destroy all of existence. Asgard was regarded as a beacon within the Nine Realms, a standard. Hercules yells back, saying that Asgard is gone. It has been for decades. Foster res responds, it can never be gone. It's never been a place. It's a people. Thor is uh, still unconvinced. That is until Jane proves herself. The last time they were together, they were on the planet Corbin having a picnic. It was a beautiful day and she was explaining what condensation was to him. She had something very important to tell him at that point, but she never got the chance. Will he listen now? Thor looks down in a panicked sweat. Hercules and Ares come to his aid, telling him that this can't be her. It's a trick, and they know their orders. Doom told them to stop the traitors at any cost. He is God, no matter what. Thor becomes enraged, and he blasts a lightning bolt right at Foster. But she blocks it, and Hercules charges head-on, but Jane is saved by Carol, who blasts the strong man away. Ares charges with his axe, but he's stopped by the Valkyrie, who uses her sword to defend the heroes. As she knocks back the God of War, she orders the armies to escort the refugees of New Xandor. The soldiers follow her orders, and Johnny's people are led inside to safety. The Valkyrie comes up to Carol, making sure she's okay. Go inside. Foster and I will handle this. Carol agrees and joins the refugees. The doors open, the people run, and the gods outside of the gate shake the very ground. In the capital of New Doomstadt, there is no violence, no revolution, only a society cut off from the rest of the world. A home of families deemed most worthy and armies ready to die at the word of doom. In his high tower, Victor Von Doom himself, the man who is believed to be God, enters his throne room, where his sheriff, Taskmaster, awaits alongside a hologram of the mayor of New Manhattan, Norman Osborne. Doom's personal AI, Norton L., runs the holograms, showing footage of Atlantis, New Xandar, the House of M, all amid revolution. Doom is very displeased with his subordinates, pulling up a hologram of Namor, who at that moment is fighting off different Wakandans. Doom tells him to get control before he sends Taskmaster to do it for him. Namor's feed cuts off due to the battle. Victor tells Norman that he too has failed in finding the spiders and the patriots. They're right under his nose. Osborne talks back to Namor, asking why God can't just summon these traitors in front of him and line them up on a wall. Are you getting soft, Victor? Or is that AI of yours providing you with false information, teases Osborne. Although he's on the other side of the world, Norman is shocked and brought to his knees by Norton L, since the AI is implemented in the helicarrier where Osborne is broadcasting from. I apologize, my lord, Doom, says Norton. A fuse must have blown. 
I will allow it, Norden. Doom responds. Find them, Osborne. No. The feed cuts off, and Doom tells Taskmaster to secure their borders. No one is to break through their defenses. The sheriff goes off, leaving his god. Norton tells Doom that if he enacts a special protocol that the intelligence drew up, he can find these traitors and end this revolution within an hour. Doom is obviously wary about this, this, this decision, considering what a robot did to his last home of Sokovia all those years ago. He will hold, hold off on that protocol only as a last resort. Doom looks to the Tree of Worlds, Yggdrasil, which sits above his other suits, all encased in special platforms, in special glass. The tree's energy is building, and soon enough, he'll have the power to enact his plan. The AI's job will be to monitor the tree's progress. Norton notices his master's district, distrust, but he also notices a glitch within his software. It's almost as if his system is being looked at by a third party. He runs a system scan, but finds nothing. The AI becomes vigilant. But that glitch wasn't nothing. In fact, it was the hacking of our hero from before, a boy who goes by Kang, but his father Johnny Storm and mother Alicia Storm prefer to call him Nathaniel. He's outside Doom's window, hiding and hacking into his computer. He wants to take complete control, but doesn't have the time. He has to find a map to Doom's dungeons quickly. Eventually he does and downloads it to his suit. He flies down discreetly into the city, dodging guards and such. He finally meets up with Kate Bishop, Hawkeye. For the past week, they've been looking for Doom's latest prisoner, Valeria Richards, Nathan's cousin, but the dungeons are a maze. Now, they can find her instantly, as the two enter deeper and deeper into the prisons. They take out different guards, passing different cells with odd characters, one of which takes notice of their mission, commenting, My me. Two heroes coming for what seems to be a prison break? How mischievous. The prisoner, Loki, brother of Thor, naturally trapped. Nathan is surprised to see Loki, well, alive. The whole world has been led to believe that Doom killed Loki when he invaded. The god of mischief is insulted by the hearsay. He asks Nathan and Kate who they're looking for, if not him. Once he learns it, is Valeria. He attempts bartering for his freedom, offering his help in finding her. However, they already have a map and start to wait, walk away. Wait, wait, the god yells. The gods, I know the patrol pattern. I can guide you safely and they won't catch you. Nathan and Kate look at each other, still unimpressed, and show their weapons. They're clearly ready for any action that may come by them, and they start to walk away once again. All right, all right, Doom's plan, I know it. I helped him plant his weapon. Let me out, and I'll tell you what you have to do to beat him. <laughs> Nathan and Kate are unsure, but these are desperate times, and they could use any help they could get. Reluctantly, they let him out. He comes out, stretching his legs, thanking them both. They ask for the info, but at that point, Loki looks to them confused. Oh, yes, well, the way to beat him. You don't. You simply run. You son of a bitch, Nathan snaps. <laughs> And at that point, Loki grins his devilish grin, and once the two try to grab him, their hands go right through his projection, and the god is long gone. Shit, Kate says. Nathan notices that they're running out of time, and they have to hurry. They run down the hall, keeping an eye out for danger. Nathan tells Kate that the surfer may be with Valeria, so they need to get ready to take him out instantly. 
as, it, as they approach Valeria's cell, they see the door is wide open. Their weapons are at the ready, and when they arrive to the cell, they see inside a bench. Sitting atop is Valeria, laying her head on the silver surfer's shoulder. Norrin has been convinced of his love for Valeria, and she has been in a state of mourning since her brother's death. Nathan asks why they haven't escaped, but Val asks, what's the point? Where would they even go? Norrin adds that all they can do is spend their final moments with their family. Nathan tells them, look, we don't have any time for this. Your family sent me to come and get you. And plus, spoiler alert, I'm your cousin. So let's go. Valeria is still sad, but maybe there is hope. Maybe they can win. And maybe Franklin wouldn't want her to sit around crying at the end of all existence. She chooses to believe in Nathan. And she asks Norrin if he's willing to stand up with her. Norrin has been unsure of his place for years. He's remained a slave to Doom. But now, he can't just sit by. He'll fight with them. And as they start to leave, Norrin tells them that there is someone else they need to pick up. Nathan tells them that they have to be quick before Norton L. finds them. If they're caught, they'll get it way worse than what Osborne got. In New Manhattan, Osborne is atop his helicarrier with different spotlights hitting crowds of people below. He forces his prisoner, Ned Leeds, aka the Hobgoblin, to look harder for potential traitors through his security forces. There are multiple monitors stretched out in front of Ned, where he's forced to look at hundreds and hundreds of new Manhattan citizens gathered in the streets. Osborne has been looking extensively for the vigilante group called the Patriots. You will look for as long and as hard as I tell you, Norman whispers to Ned. If you screw with me, you'll have to answer to your babysitters here. He gestures to bodyguards, Rhino and Electro behind. And after that, I'll drag Parker and these heroes into the streets, and I'll reinstitute the guillotine. And after that, I'll gas up that room of prisoners you're so fond of. So, happy hunting, kid. Norman walks out of the room, leaving his hobgoblin to work. Outside in the labs, Norman suits up in his iron patriot armor, getting ready for his speech. He asks his partner, Dr. Otto Octavius, if he's ready for his time to shine. With his newly designed and crafted prosthetic arms, he's been ready to go. He's just not sure if forcibly checking each and every citizen's phone records and web history is good PR. Do you really expect people to accept this, Norman? Asks Otto. Every promise, every suit, every hero you throw at them won't be enough for this invasion of yours. Otto, says Norman. There's a special word that essentially gives you carte blanche to do anything you deem necessary in the name of security and safety. It's beautiful and wholesome, comforting and righteous, but no one, no one ever acknowledges the little dash of paprika that's added to the mix. Because when it comes to this word, people will give whatever you do a pass. And what word would that be, Norman? Osborne grins as his armor comes online. He answers, patriotism. The two arrive atop the helicarrier, where Quentin Beck Mysterio is heading a camera crew, preparing for Osborne's speech. He tells Octavius to figure out a way to deactivate Norton's control over the helicarrier. He doesn't like being leashed by doom. Osborne goes through quick makeup, stands on his mark, and in five, four, three, two, a hologram of Osborne in his suit is projected above the citizens of New Manhattan, above the image doing 
Recon is the vulture, followed by hammer agents, flying, with specialized gliders. Below, people are gathered in groups, being checked on by different agents of hammer, who are led by different members of the Dark Avengers. Craven the Hunter is heading the investigation for possible traitors, joined by the Scorpion as Muscle. Near the camera crew, Octavius examines different blood samples that the citizens below are being forced to give and checking their records. Everybody, Osborne says joyously, I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Why are you taking my blood? Why am I being forced? Completely understandable. It's your right to question this. And you want honesty. You deserve it. What is going on? Well, we have a rat infestation, ladies and gentlemen. The terrorist cell known as the Patriots are planning another attack. Below, amongst all the crowd, is Sam Wilson, James Rhodes, and Bucky Barnes, all hidden. They brought fake papers, IDs, passports, and with underground tech, they've designed patches for their arms that will mask the plasma of their blood and use microtech to provide proof that they are citizens. Fake IDs, fake blood. They need to get past the checkpoints that the soldiers have set so they can sneak around the helicarrier and take control with Rhodey's special USB. But they're not alone, Osborne continues. An extremist group known as the Spiders have been up to no good as well. In fact, their leader, a young man named Peter Parker, he, he was instrumental in the death of my son, Harry. Footage of a riot with Parker and Harry fighting side by side is presented. It's from years ago, where they are fighting off different soldiers of Osborne's. In the video, Harry pushes Peter out of the way of a bullet, taking it for himself. My son was enticed by Parker to join his revolution, and he died because of it. And it hasn't stopped. It won't stop unless we find them. Unless we show these criminals what true justice means. What true patriotism means. The crowd below cheers and start to chant Osborne's name. The hologram ends, and it's Sam's turn to be checked. Bucky and Rhodey are already past the game. Good to go. Wilson's directed right to Craven, who takes his blood, hitting the patch directly. High above, Octavius, still on the helicarrier, checking the blood data. However, he finds some anomalies and directs Craven to apprehend Sam. As he does, Sam starts to fight back, but he's overrun. He can't reach the shield in his backpack, and right when the guards are going to cuff him, they're whisked away by the pulls of a web. Sam, Rhodey, Becky, the guards, the crowd, the Dark Avengers, and Osborne look to see, standing triumphantly, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Joining him is a squad of other spiders, one in black and red with a pair of Nikes, Miles Morales, to his side, Spider-Gwen, an alternate version of Gwen Stacy. Landing next to Peter are versions of himself from alternate realities, one played by Andrew Garfield, and the other, Toby McGuire. Landing near in a spider craft is Phil Coulson and Elijah Bradley, the Patriot. The crowd begins to boo at the spiders. This is nothing new, says Toby's Parker. We need to fight this away from the people, says Tom's Peter. Actually, says Andrews, I think that friend of yours has that part covered. In his arm bracelet, the Parker of another dimension sends a message to the inside man, Ned, Above, Ned is ecstatic to see his old friend after all this time and uses its access to the helicarrier's computer to order a mandatory evacuation. Above, Osborne is notified by Norton, 
that he's being bypassed and multiple firewalls are surrounding his AI. It'll take him a couple of minutes to regain control. Down below, the checkpoints open and the citizens move out of the area quickly, making room for the coming battle. The spiders land down in now the empty square, meeting with Sam, James, and Rhodey. Phil comes up telling them that because of Ned's message, he's downloaded access keys to the helicarrier. They can walk right in, but they'll need help, and the Patriot volunteers with shield in hand. Glad you didn't give up on the spiders, kid, Wilson asks Elijah. The Patriots split off from the spiders as Osborne suited up and his team of Mysterio, Vulture, Craven, Octavius, and Scorpion approaches slowly. So kid, it's finally time. Mine versus yours. Except, we're the Avengers now. And you, you're just a bunch of bugs. Parasites, says Osborne. As far as I'm concerned, you're the only parasite around here. Using the tech of a man who gave everything to save the world? You're never going to be an Avenger, Osborne, Parker responds. Miles chimes in. Yeah, you're more of a Sinister Six type of thing. Gwen looks at Miles with embarrassment. Oh, God. Not an Avenger? How does that work when I'm about to avenge my son? The Six prepare to do battle, as do the Spider-Men. They charge, and the fight that we've waited for begins. As the revolution continues on the islands of Atlantis, it's raining heavily, and the thunderstorms get in the way of some battles. You'd imagine this to be a freak of nature. However, you'd be wrong. It's a military tactic that Namor employs with his greatest weapon. In his high tower, he slays down different Wakandans and mutants with his scepter. When the last enemy of his goes down, he talks to his weapon directly. I know you think that I'm brutal maybe even deplorable. But this island, control of the waters, it was my people's right. And that right was taken by your husband's ancestors. The Black Panthers sunk the Atlanteans, but we are resilient and we die only through war. But through this war, I will remain while your love lays dead. I owe it to my culture, my heritage to make it so. Namor's weapon is T'Challa's wife, the Storm of Wakanda, Aurora Monroe. She's hooked up to the wall, tied with tubes and wiring. Through torturous means, she is forced to summon rain and lightning with her power. She's forced to attack her allies, her saviors, her people. Namor forces her to do it again and again and again. If she causes any more damage, Atlantis may be sunk again. But at this point, it's of little concern to the Submariner. He only cares for victory. However, the torture is interrupted by the leader of the revolution, T'Challa. Finally, he found his way to the tower, to Namor, and to Storm. She's finally able to rest from causing havoc, and she hangs her head down. Namor looks to him. <laughs> no hard feelings, right? T'Challa responds. You flooded Wakanda, turned my people into slaves, into fighters for your amusement. Turned my wife into your weapon for mass destruction. And you've the nerve to joke? My nerve has never been in question. Namor charges T'Challa and their fight begins. But over near Storm, still hanging, she weakly calls for her husband, but she's not heard. The violence continues, but next to her ear, the sound of Susan Storm's voice can be heard, saying, it's okay, I'll get you out. Storm is confused. Where is the voice? 
She is, after all, the Invisible Woman, so she frees her safely as the two kings fight each other. Susan leads her away, down the hall, down the stairs, down to freedom. But Storm doesn't want to leave T'Challa alone with him. Down on the shores of Atlantis, Shuri and Okoye lead mutants and Wakandans, such as Kitty Pride and Shuri's mother, to escape vessels led by James Proudstar, Warpath. The vessels will take the refugees to his camp led by the Morlocks, away from the havoc. Shuri tells Warpath that they're not done, and she has to reach the communications tower to connect with other freedom fighters across the world. And Proudstar offers his help. They can connect with Scott Summers, who's back at the House of Adam. In the streets of the House of M, Hulk agents are trashing the homes of the once comfortable. Warren Warrington and Bobby Drake help as many people evacuate as they can to small corners of the city where Hank McCoy is simultaneously seeing to people's medical needs and reprogramming the Sentinel guards on the city walls to target the Hulks. The former X-Men wish they could do more, but their powers were taken long ago. A part of the attack is the Maestro's adopted son, Hulkling. He is reluctant to help cause any destruction. The chaos is maddening and against everything he believes in. Amid the chaos, he finds his father getting up from rubble. Slowly after being attacked by the Scarlet Witch, he tries to help him up, but his father is very cold, pushing him away, insisting that he's fine. That is until he's attacked directly behind by Logan, who chucks a piece of rubble atop his head. The two face each other, mano y mano. Banner! yells Logan. You're mine! The maestro responds. Do I have to put you down too, Patch? Along with your filth of people? If you're gonna threaten me, best get the name right, bub. I'm the Wolverine! Logan finally pops his natural bone claws for the first time in years, yelling with pain for he hasn't a healing factor anymore. Charging the maestro, Wolverine uses his speed and size, dodging different swings, kicks, and stomps. His claws cut at the giant's legs, his back, and his arms. It's total warfare, and it's reminiscent to their first meeting. Hulkling is horrified by the violence, and he scampers away. As he makes his way to wherever safety can be found, he runs into Wakan and Speed. Whoa, bruh! Hands up! Speed yells. What are you doing? Where are you going? demands Wakan. Please, Hulkling begs. I, I surrender or whatever, just please help me. The two twins look at each other in consideration. Hulkling looks to them in desperation. In the palace of the House of M, Wanda and Hope see the destruction below. Scott can only hear. They won't last much longer. We need help, says Wanda. From where, though? asks Hope. From you, says a female voice from behind. It belongs to Hope's mother, Jean Grey, making her way in with a suitcase. You are more powerful than I've allowed you to know, Hope. I didn't want them to take you like they tried to take me. Your father fought so hard to keep them from breaking up our family. But that wasn't fair to you. Jean, Scott says, but Jean stops him right there. You were right, Scott. We were mutants, and we can be again. How? asks Hope. Through the Phoenix. And though Hope doesn't know what that is, deep down, the word is familiar. And even deeper than that, something awakens. Don't be afraid of this power. Understand it, Jean says. You can bring us back, Hope. Close your eyes and speak the words. With her eyes closed, Hope searches inside, only hearing the embers of fire and a bird's call. Slowly, her eyelids reopen, with her pupils glowing orange, and she says, 
we return. Her eyes turn back to normal, and it seems as if nothing happened. Scott thinks to himself, why didn't it work? Jean responds, I don't know. Wait a minute. Jean heard that? She heard Scott's thought? The two are stunned, and soon enough, Jean can hear the thoughts of Hope and Wanda. Her head starts to fill with the thoughts and prayers of everyone in the city. After that, Scott starts to feel a pain in his head, specifically with his eyes. He opens them, and a beam of red optic blasts shoot out, destroying the window. Scott can see again. His powers are backed. It worked. Jean is shocked, but she tries to grab her composure, bringing the suitcase to Scott. Put this on. This case opens, and Scott feels the texture and weight of a new visor. He smirks. <laughs> Perfect. Back on the streets, She-Hulk, aka Jennifer Walters, makes her way through the battle. She guides citizens to safety, not wanting to cause any more death or havoc. She sees two of the Maestro's generals, the Red Hulk and the Abomination, throwing different people into buildings. She tells them to stand down. These people are defenseless. Red Hulk tells her that ransacking the town was their order. Abomination agrees, grabbing one specific citizen, a scrawny little man with no powers for now. The monster chucks the little man directly into the building for the rest of the nearby citizens to watch. She-Hulk is horrified. The little man's screaming can be heard, and it turns from small to monstrous. Jennifer heads over to the help, but that's until a piece of building is chucked right at the Red Hulk from the little man. The abomination smiles and yells, Finally! A challenge! Alright, little man. Let's see what you got. Let's see who you are. The little man replies as he comes out slowly. Don't you know? The little man is now towering, a giant with a returned mutation of great density and strength. He matches the abomination in height and strength and says, I'm the juggernaut, bitch. The two titans clash and all around Jennifer, more former mutants regain their abilities some with powers of shaking the ground, some who can shape shift, some who can leap high using their elongated tongue as a weapon. The mutants are now a brotherhood and they take the fight to the Hulk army. At this point, the, in the stronghold for mutants, Hank McCoy sees the mutants power returning with each patient. When Warren's wings start to come back, Bobby's eyes start to form and his fear grows. He notices that the override of the Sentinels is finished, and he enacts the protocol. In the streets, as mutants fight back against their attackers, the giant Sentinels from atop their border, Walsh, join in, aiding mutant kind. The spirit of revolution is palpable. In New Manhattan, Wilson, Colson, Barnes, Rhodey, and the Patriot make their way through the designated checkpoints of the helicarrier, taking down different hammer agents and their gliders. Their dark horse, Ned, makes sure they aren't seen by any security cameras in his control room. His espionage is key, especially when the two super-powered thugs are over his shoulder, and every minute, Norton L is trying to break out of his cybernetic chains. The team makes their way up to the helicarrier's bridge, where they assume control. Phil Colson stands in the director's chair, where his predecessor, Nick Fury, once would. He contacts Ned, telling them that they need to disable Mysterio's barf technology so he won't continue to manipulate the public. But the only way to do that is to get him here in person. Leeds is on the job, 
Barnes, Wilson, and the Patriot take down extra hammer soldiers, and Rhodey makes his way to the ship's main hard drive. He finally enters the USB drive that Nathan gave him at the beginning of our tale. Finally, they'll be able to control the ship and turn the tide of this war. They have to hold the fort down because the rest of the ships will be coming for them. The USB files and programs filter in the helicarrier system. It overwhelms Norton, who doesn't have enough data to fight back, and it's driven out of the system. Back in Doomstadt, Norton notifies Doom, which worries him. He tries contacting Osborne directly, but he only meets Static. In the streets of Midtown, the battle between the Web Warriors and the Sinister Six is intense and awesome. With every swing of the Scorpion's tail, the force would be enough to crack an average skull. But Miles is too quick and dodges with finesse. You know, I've fought a Scorpion before, but I promise that you have a much better fashion sense, he tosses. With every dodge, the Scorpion gets angrier, making him less precise. When he starts to yell back, that's when Gwen flies around right into him on the back of the vulture, crashing both villains and saving Miles. Mi amore, he says. Back to back, Andrew and Toby's Peter fight off Doc Ock, Craven, and Mysterio. Together, they toss each other over the villains, starting with Craven, who lashes his blade at Toby's partner. But when he gets an opening, he kicks the hunter right into Garfield's fist. Next is Octavius, and Toby has a little bit of familiarity with fighting guys like this. Him and Andrew use their webs to bound the scientist's arms together on his body. However, this is interrupted by the blasts of Mysterio. The two Parkers are both slammed to the floor and are shown illusions of their greatest failures. We have files on you, Mr. and Mr. Parker, says Mysterio. Both of you have some very dark moments. Andrew sees the death of Gwen Stacy repeatedly. He puts his head down, trying to forget it. Toby sees himself being wrapped by the black venom and hitting his love, Mary Jane. The original wall crawler looks to his amazing counterpart, saying, Peter. Garfield looks back to him, and McGuire continues. Responsibility. The two Spider-Men fight through and look past the illusion, making their way to back and knocking him down. As Quentin gets back up, he gets a notification from Ned, telling him that the Patriots are trying to hack into his barf technology up in the helicarrier. This panics Mysterio, and he leaves the battle in a hurry. To the side, our main Peter Parker is fighting Osborne himself. With every repulsor blast that do Peter dodges, he's reminded of Tony Stark. But he has to focus on the fight. He lands hard blows, severely damaging the Iron Patriot armor. Norman is only at 36% power. I didn't kill Harry, Norman, says Peter, and you know it. Don't you say his name, Norman yells as he attacks Peter with a unibeam, leaving him at 15% power. The blast knocks away all the spiders, buying Osborne some time. He yells at Otto, asking if their secret project is ready. Otto is reluctant to tell him, but more scared not to. He's never seen Osborne this unhinged. Yes, Norman, Otto says, still trapped. At that moment, Osborne abandons the battlefield, and he heads to his tower across the city. The spiders demand that Otto tells them what Osborne is going after. Norman, he tells them, he, he wanted me, forced me to synthesize a drug that would enable him with strength to, at some point, challenge and possibly overthrow Doom. There were so many failed tests, leaving subjects with cardiac arrests but I finally perfected it. He's getting it now. 
the Peters decide to go after Osborne, leaving Miles and Gwen to contact the other spiders on their island. New Manhattan will need help rebuilding and keeping the Sinister Six in check. They agree, and the Spider-Men rush off. Behind the walls of New Xandar, the citizens can feel the ground shake and see lightning continue to crackle. The soldiers of Asgard lead Johnny, Carol, and their refugees inside to safety. They are met by a battalion, a battalion of Nova Guards, led by Richard Ryder, who says that the refugees are to be detained by order of doom. Carol yells at him in front of the armies, the refugees, the people. Enough! Don't you get it? The world is needing doom less and less. People are finally opening their eyes. And for you to wear that helmet and act this way, you disgrace the Novas, the Skrulls, the Kree. Let them in because you know it's what those before you would have done. Richards is quiet. And with his eyes on the city, with everyone looking at him, he says, Fine. But where are they going to put them? There's no room in the whole city. At that moment, a teacher finally stands up of the university and he offers sanctuary. It's Professor Adam Brashear, who for years has been afraid to stand up and help when it was most needed. But for too long, evil had flourished because a good man did nothing. He leads Johnny Storm and the injured refugees inside to receive medical attention. Carol is still weakened and needs a charge of energy. She asks Richard where she could go to make that possible. I'm not proud of the answer, but it's deep under the city. Our main battery for power, he tells her. I'll lead you. Cassie Lang offers to go back Carol up. She looks back to Hope, who is proud of her, but she is given a device for her protection. Use this if anything gets wild, Cass. Down in the basement of New Xandar, Nova leads Captain Marvel and Cassie deeper and deeper. Finally, they arrive to the main battery room. Inside, generators creating enough power for 10,000 generations. It's bright and near blinding. What's in there? Cassie asks. Richards is ashamed. A family brought to us by Thor. Carol looks closer through the door's window and she sees less light. Now, she sees the figures of people they're hooked up to the machines that siphon their energy to power New Xandar. What the hell is this? Carol demands to know. But Nova didn't have a choice. It was Doom's order. And New Xandar would have been completely destroyed by Thor if they had not done this. Doom said it was cost effective, says Ryder. And you people just accepted this? Asks Cassie. You just put their suffering in the back of your minds? Carol breaks the door down and turns off the machines. Up above, the lights in Xandarian homes dim, but there's enough stored power to keep them going for a bit. Danvers frees one of the men from his trap. He falls only for her to catch him. He goes by the name Icarus. The rest of his family, they go by the Eternals. Icarus looks up to Carol and whispers with a grimaced voice, Where is he? Outside, Thor continues to swing at Jane Foster, who's doing her best to defend herself. Behind the Valkyrie, takes on both Hercules and Ares. Dodging, deflecting, causing them both to hit each other, Jane begs Thor to stop, to reconsider. He knows that she's only there to help him, but the God of Thunder ignores the truth. He's committed to destroying her. Okay, says Jane. Then how about this? I'm pregnant! Thor stops. The force of his swing is instantly forgotten, and something deep down has turned. 
That's what I wanted to tell you that day. You're a God and you've lived a long time and you may live longer than me or her. And I was scared. I don't want a family that I can lose. And I know you don't either. Thor's breathing slows eventually. But wait, did she say her? Yeah, it's a girl. Thor says one word, Jane. But that word is interrupted by a blast from the inside of the city, a giant explosion from beneath, shooting from the fallout, the Eternals, all up in the air, glowing, their powers finally able to breathe. The people below run from the rubble and are helped by Novus and Asgardians. Johnny and Adam escort people inside the university for cover. Cassie makes her way up from the underground and she sees a giant boulder headed right for the people. It's time to use that device, and instantly, Cassie grows in stature, about 90 feet, and she catches the boulders like basketballs. The people below are bewildered and astonished. Hope looks up knowing that Scott would be a proud father. Before any residual energy can be spread, Carol absorbs what's left, energizing herself. She can finally access her abilities with clarity. Above, she sees the Eternals float towards Thor and Jane. Wait, she yells as she flies towards them. She begs for their reconsideration. Revenge won't help, but she's blasted away as if she were a fly. Nothing is stopping this family. They approach in sync towards Thor, still on the ground below. In unison, they blast him hundreds of feet away. It's enough energy to fracture a moon. Jane yells for him and rushes to his aid. Hercules and Ares' attention are taken away from the Valkyrie, and when they try to attack the unit, the Eternals blast them both away like bugs. Jane catches up to Thor, who's still lying on the rubble, as Stormbreaker lays a couple feet away. She holds his head up, and he tries whispering to her, but nothing can be heard. She comes closer. Torin, Thor says. But what does that mean? He continues, Torin is a pretty name for a young girl. Jane laughs as she tries holding back her tears. Yeah, it is, she says. Though the moment is bittersweet, it's ended by the Eternal's presence. They land near, and Icarus approaches with lethal intent. Back in the high tower of Atlantis, T'Challa does his best in defending from Namor's unnatural strength. However, He's continuously being wailed on. Finally, the Black Panther is pinned on a window where below the revolution, the chaos is staggering. Nathan Moore with his scepter at T'Challa's throat with an insidious grin and it says, don't you see? You've turned my waters red. You've soiled my father's memory and his father's before. You've lost your mind, Namor, says T'Challa. Maybe, yes, maybe, if so, then drowning you in your own blood won't be too hard. The king lifts his blade, but before he uses it, Namor is shot with a bolt of lightning, sending him right through the window. He falls right down into the middle of the chaos. T'Challa looks to see his savior, and it's Storm, back with Susan. The lovers reunite, kissing in a way you only could if part of you was stolen. Susan smiles, asking what's next, and T'Challa tells them that they have to get down there and stop the fighting. Down in the middle of the chaos, the battle is disrupted when Namor hits the ground. He struggles getting up, and everyone sees him in a vulnerable state. His warriors are shocked by the sight, whereas the revolters are inspired. 
coming down in a force field is Susan, T'Challa, and Storm. They reach the middle of the battle, where Atlanteans, Wakandans, and mutants stand, watching. In the crowd, Shuri, Okoye, appear along with Warpath. Everyone is gathered as the hurricane continues. But no one is bothered by the rain. T'Challa approaches Noimor, still on his knees, in the middle of the crowd. <laughs> What's next, Black Panther? Namor asks mockingly. Am I finally getting mine? You gonna kill me? I wanted to. You took me back to a time where Med fed off other men's suffering. But I have to give you some credit. I wouldn't have fought so hard to get my people, my wife, our dignity back if it weren't for you. Namor chuckles as T'Challa continues. You and Doom have tricked so many. You would tell them the truth now. Still chuckling, Namor gets up, slowly and wobbly. Fine, he says to the crowd. I flooded Wakanda. Not only that, I killed Atlanteans doing so. Because our victory was worth it. Our legacy. We were owed that death. That horror. You are my brothers. Understand, please. The Atlantean soldiers are devastated. Namor's commander and sister, Namorita, drops her weapons, as does Tiger Shark. And one by one, the rest of the army follows. Namor's former legion now swears allegiance to the Black Panther. At this moment, Storm leaves the hurricane above, dispersing the clouds to reveal the sun. You idiots, Namor yells. We'll be forgotten. You've erased yourselves from history. No. We're accepting our place in history, says Namorita. The crowd turns away from Namor, gathering near T'Challa, asking what their next move is. He tells them that they have to get Shuri to the comms tower. As progress is being made, Namor is left behind, alone. His anger takes hold. He picks up one of the dropped Atlantean swords and charges T'Challa from behind. He yells, and then suddenly, he doesn't. A knife protrudes from his chest. It's the knife of Warpath. Proudstar whispers to Namor, You've made this the cost. Warpath lets him go, and Namor falls to the ground, dead. T'Challa and the rest look to the body. Susan approaches the late Submariner, kneeling down and giving him a short prayer. She closes Namor's eyes, saying, You won't be forgotten. As this battle ends, the group heads to the communications tower. In New Manhattan, Osborne crashes right into his luxury apartment at the top of Oscorp Tower. He hurries to take his armor off, and once he finds his hidden safe, he accesses his prize, a vial and needle labeled Oz Formula. It's a green chemical that he readies, then plunges right into his arm. He screams and struggles with breathing that's erratic. Behind him are the three Spider-Men. Tom's Parker asks, Osborne, what the hell are you doing? But the other two Peters are very familiar with this type of transfusion. He's going to go full goblin any second, warns McGuire. Spider, Osborne growls. I'll feast on your heart. Kill every Parker I lay my eyes on. Oh, oh. But Osborne stops. His veins turn a dark, sickly green, and his eyes turn bloodshot. He stops breathing and grabs his chest. He tries to say something, but nothing comes out. He's having a heart attack. Maybe the drug wasn't ready. He falls to his knees and then to the floor. Holland's Peter looks down. I'm sorry, Harry. 
Garfield comes up to him, saying that they have to keep moving. The Patriots and the Helicarrier will need their help. Peter lifts his head and agrees. They go off, leaving Osborne alone in his tower. On the bridge of the Helicarrier, Wilson, Bucky, and Patriot are doing their best in defending Rhodey and Coulson, but more and more hammer agents come along. Rhodey's USB program is uploading at 83%. They're almost at full control of the Helicarrier. On a monitor, Coulson sees live footage of the top of the carrier. He tells them that they have Mysterio incoming, but he's backed up by Electro and Rhino. That's when he commences a full lockdown with vibranium-enforced doors. Up above, Mysterio, Electro, and Rhino are joined by a platoon of hammer guards. They approach the closed doors, and right when Beck tells the other two villains to bring them down, they're caught in a surprise attack. First to go down is Rhino, being punched behind the knees and headbutted by Luke Cage. Next, Electro is blinded by Dagger and knocked out by Daredevil. With his hood, Cloak gathers the soldiers together, teleporting them into the Manhattan Sea below. What the hell? Mysterio yells. Who are these assholes? <laughs> At that moment, He's kicked to the floor from behind. He looks back to see the Punisher aiming his rifle right at him, along with the senile Steve Rogers in a mech armor resembling his old suit. The outfit gives him some power that will help him fight one last time. Steve tells Mysterio, We're the Avengers, son, and we're back. As Quentin recognizes Steve, the original Captain America, he responds, Oh god, I, I am so sorry. I surrender once again. I am very sorry. Behind the Avengers lands the Spider-Man. Cap? asks Peter. Good to see you still fighting, Queens. The doors to the bridge open, and in walks Cap's team, along with Peter's. They drag a webbed-up Quentin back. Wilson is happy that he got to Steve, and weirdly enough, Elijah is proud to see him wearing the stars one more time. Approaching Peter is Ned, the two hug and do their special handshake for the first time in years. Ned apologizes for not being strong enough, but Peter tells him that he's stronger than he'll ever know. He's the guy in the chair. In fact, he returns something that Ned gave him years ago. A little Lego Emperor Palpatine. Rhodey's program is finally at 100% installation. What is this thing anyway? asks Wilson. It's the key to their victory a prototype AI that he and Nathan had been developing just for this occasion. The program takes over the helicarrier, and in front of all of them, the hologram of a friendly face appears. All the heroes looking at the image are astonished. Peter says, Wait, how did you... Why did... It's you. The AI was designed off the brain chemistry and persona of the armored Avenger himself, Tony Stark, Iron Man. The AI yawns. Ah, wow. Resurrection leaves a weird taste at the back of your mouth that you just can't scratch. It's even more odd considering I don't actually have a mouth. Mr. Stark, Peter says. Hey, kid, Tony says. According to my newly accessed files, which I've gone over 30,000 times, there are now three Peter Parkers. Does that mean there are three identical Aunt Mays? Toby's Peter looks to Tom's. Did he just hit on Aunt May? Steve walks up to the hologram. Mr. Stark, you haven't aged a day. Neither of you, Cap. You just ran out of aloe vera, I think. At that moment, a ping. Tony is notified of a radio signal coming from Atlantis, specifically their communication tower. He answers it to see T'Challa and Shuri, 
T'Challa is surprised to see Stark, but they have more important things to cover. They have to contact the House of M. In the tower of the House of M, Wakan and Speed return, joined by Hulkling. They see Hope joined with Wanda. Their mother is meditating. Her energy is nearly built up, almost ready to unleash the power upon the world. The truth will soon be given. Hope tells the sons that she's in too deep. She can't be distracted. At that moment, they receive communication from the outside world. It's a group transmission with T'Challa in Atlantis and Tony in New Manhattan. They have control of the main exports of communication and are ready to make an announcement to the whole world. Hope tells them to wait a minute for Wanda has a spell that will help her broadcast. Wanda surprisingly asks for Hope. She mentions that her power is built up and she's ready, but she needs to do one more thing. I need you to contact Doom. I need to say goodbye. In Doomstadt, Victor stands on his veranda, enjoying the view of his country. You'd never believe that such chaos had been occurring simultaneously. That's when he's contacted psychically by Wanda. With Hope's help, Victor's wife seeps into his mind. They see each other as if they weren't hundreds of miles apart. Wanda asks Doom. Victor, Wanda says. Her words can be heard in the room by Wakan and Speed. The two call for their father begging them both to stop this chaos, to come home. Do you hear them, Victor? Yes, Wanda. I hear that you've turned my own boys against me. No. No, I didn't. They just realized that their father wasn't God. He's a man trying to bend everything to impress everyone. Really? <laughs> and what does that make you, Wanda? It makes me wrong and scared. But I'm done with that, Wanda says. You told me you couldn't bring my father, my brother, back to life. But I see your prisoner, clearly in your mind. This poor soul who you resurrected only to torture. What god acts in this way? Doom replies, <laughs> what god hasn't? You won't be the one to stop me, my love. I know, she says. But it doesn't mean you can't be. Goodbye, Victor. I love you. Doom is left with a sinking feeling. Back in the House of M, Wanda breaks the connection. She wipes the tears and looks to her boys. She tells them she, that she loves them and she will always be with them. Wakan rushes to her, but he's stopped by Hulkling. The room flares with red energy, pouring from Wanda's eyes. Finally, it's time to reveal the truth. With her final words, she casts her last spell. You deserve to know. And like that, the red energy blasts from her lighting up the whole room, causing a pulsating wave of energy to spread quickly across the world. Throughout the House of M, Atlantis, the Swamplands, the Savage Lands, New Xandar, New Manhattan, to the brigades of Nova, Kree, and Skrull in space, everyone's memories are returned. We cut to Reed in the Swamplands. He's joined by Brother Voodoo. They both just felt the spell from Wanda. Reed says, They did it. They actually did it. Voodoo tells him, now is the time. We cut to the people of New Manhattan. They remember the hysteria from Doom's day much clearer, as do the Wakandans and mutants in Atlantis, and the Latvarians in Doomstadt, and the refugees of the Savage Land, and the saved in New Xandar. At that point, the fighting all over is brought to a halt, with soldiers of the Hulk, Doom, Thor, and more being enlightened to what truly was. 
Now, the TVs and radios all over are connected through a channel drawn by Shuri and Tony's AI. They broadcast live with T King T'Challa in front of the camera. Every citizen and soldier and student and parent and teacher are waiting. He tells them that they are not invaders. They were once considered heroes. Many, many years ago, you good people of and not of the planet Earth were fed fear, T'Challa announces. You were told by Victor Von Doom that the only path to sanctity and peace was through him. But this man led an attack on our world due to a sheer ego. In New Manhattan, Coulson connects his positronic brain to the main computer, accessing his memory banks. The broadcast shows footage of the Earth being attacked by Victor, Galactus, Brood, Novas. The people see the destruction of old New York. They see the death of Ant-Man. They see the Earth being engulfed by the sun. He convinced you that the destruction was due to the actions of Reed Richards. But Richards was the one who warned us of Doom's invasion. Richards is the reason we need to convince you of Doom's lie before we could enact true revolution. And because of Doom, Reed Richards has lost more than we can ever imagine. The broadcast cuts to body cam footage from one of Doom's soldiers. It's during the attack on the swamplands where Franklin Richards was killed trying to save his father. The people are horrified. This is not a trick. We've caught the tricksters, the ones who fooled you for so long. The camera cuts to the Spider-Men standing above Beck, who's still tied up. Yeah, it's true, Mysterio sneers. You have been scared too long. You have worshipped someone who'd never sacrificed, not like the rest of us. A true man doesn't promise freedom and then claim godhood. He is not a god, but we are men. We are women. We are spirit. We are all Avengers. And together, we will stop this madman. In Doomstat, Doom hears the speech, for Norton plays it on his screen. He's angered and blasts one of his showcased suits to dust. T'Challa's final words? The secret wars are finally over. The revolution is now. The broadcast ends. The world is left to ponder their next move. Will they stay? Or will they stand? One of the most worrying to have regained their memory is the maestro. What will he do with this information? How's it feel, Banner? Wolverine asks. To know how we both got played. You're nothing like me, maestro growls. Nothing's chained. Just makes me angry. You're alone, midget. Time to die. But before he can smash, he's blasted away by an optic blast of red. Coming behind Wolverine is Cyclops, joined by Jean, Iceman, Angel, and Beast. I wouldn't say that, says Scott. He's an X-Man. He'll never be alone. The team is back together, all powered up, all ready to fight Banner. But Maestro won't have any of it. He flees, leaping miles and miles away, leaving his men, his battalion, and his son. Logan looks to his friends, Scott, Jeannie, Hank, Bobby, and Warren, for the first time in years. He's relieved. In the House of M, She-Hulk is disturbed by the revelation, and she leads the Hulk army to surrender. The Red Hulk and Abomination are on their knees, with their giant hands over their head, being patrolled by the Juggernaut and his brothers and sisters. In the tower, Wanda's body is gone. All that's left of her is her headband. Wakan picks it up, 
Speed is in shock, not believing that she's really gone. He zips all around the room, the hall, the palace, and the city, but he can't find anything. Wakan comes up, holding him, rubbing his back as he cries. I'm sorry, says the Hulkling. Wakan nods to him. Hope sees the tragedy and is convinced to use her telepathy to check if her mom and dad are okay. They are. But what about Warpath, her boyfriend? She contacts him psychically as he helps mutants, Wakandans, and Atlanteans with their wounds. He tells her that he's okay and that their people are finally moving forward. T'Challa is going to lead them to the House of M to pick up more warriors for his crusade and store their injured. They'll be together again soon. I've seen too much today, James. Our people can't take anymore, she tells him. Hope, don't worry. After today, we'll be free at last. I promise you. In New Xandar, Thor is helped to his feet by Jane, but they're still cut off by Icarus and his Eternals. Their anger is still unsatisfied. They're rage-fueled, even though they've just witnessed the truth. They know that Thor is only a pawn and that Doom is the king, but they must channel their collective rage towards something specific, and Thor is the only one there. Jane asks them if they would really shoot a man while he's down. When he's beaten, Thor is no longer their enemy, but their ally. They know who the real menace is. Frustrated and regretful, Icarus lowers his hand and his family follows. They walk to the city, seeing if anyone needs their help. Jane and Thor follow, but at their own pace. Thor thanks Jane, but she's just happy he's back to normal. In the recovering city of New Xandar, citizens help each other from the debris, and they see to each other's medical needs. Speaking of, Richard Ryder brings IV bags to Dr. Kamala Khan, and when he sees the faces of people who've managed to survive this war, he's ashamed. He works double time to help, ordering his Novas to assist the Asgardians in providing food and water. Professor Bashir leads the refugees from the universities to the markets where they can acquire new clothes and blankets. Even the shamed help. Hercules lifts buildings back to their previous spots, as does Ares. Above them all, Cassie, still giant, picks up pieces of different buildings, making sure that different trapped families are saved. Hope Below guides them to Kamala. Carol Danvers uses her recharged energy to refill the city's supplemental batteries, providing them all with power. Johnny has some help digging people out and is relieved by younger and stronger citizens. He wanders over to his wife, sitting next to her, almost out of breath. I was never that young, Johnny says. You were younger, Alicia responds. Johnny is approached by a young Nova who tells him that his presence has been summoned by the Collector and Grandmaster. A meeting is about to begin regarding their next move. Later in the store of the Collector, Johnny Lee finally finds himself standing there with Carol, Brashear, Jane, the Valkyrie, Icarus, Cassie, and the Grandmaster. We are at a crossroads. Our resistance has been given a choice. To remain passive, or to thrust ourselves towards revolution, says the Collector. This is not what I created the resistance for, Tenelier. We are not an army, says Johnny. This resistance has grown past you, Storm, the Grandmaster interjects. Numbers will soon be needed, along with those worthy enough to stand. Johnny responds, from what I see, you have numbers. As guardians, gods, eternals, you don't need my people. 
Carol interjects, your people have proven over and over again that they're willing to do what's right for the greater good. Look right outside, you'll see spirit. That'll be enough? Johnny asks. Doom has armies, cities, my sister. He's turned the people we love against us. Right, Jane? You think spirit is enough against something like that? The room is quiet, and Johnny looks down in frustration, anger. Bashir chimes in. Mr. Storm here is not against a better world. Of course not. Think of his position. He's undertook so much. He just doesn't want to lose anyone else. The professor looks to Johnny. I've been you. Scared, helpless, but whether you like it or not, you are a hero. They don't usually give up. Johnny smirks. <laughs> you remind me of a friend of mine. Valkyrie adds that they'll need more than the Asgardians if they're going to go up against Doom. At that moment, Richard Ryder comes in, offering the full support of the Nova Guard. He apologizes to Carol, saying that she knew who they were better than himself. And she smiles. Jane asks Akaris if he and his people are willing to join. Their power could be of great use to them. The Eternals will cut Doom's head off, clean from his shoulders, says Akaris. Then you'll need an axe, says Thor, approaching the group. I am sorry, Akaris. Please, your lost years must be paid. I will fight with you. I will die with you if you'll have me. Thor puts out his arm towards the Eternal. Icarus grabs it with his own, showing a new brotherhood. The Grandmaster adds, Ah, unity and peace from the Lord of Thunder. Thor recognizes the voice and turns to see his old adversary, responding with, Oh, God, no. The Collector leads the group to his private collection of armory and weaponry. They grab different pieces of, of equipment to give to their people outside. The Grandmaster pulls Bashir and Johnny to the side, noticing their lack of powers. He has something that they might like. First, for Bashir, a prototype armor developed for Kree Royal Guard. The suit's named the Blue Marvel. He puts it on and gains access to cosmic energy. It's overwhelming, a power he could have never dreamed of. He accidentally blasts part of the hallway apart. Maybe he should read the instructions first. Next is Johnny. Tanelir provides him a suit from the old Earth. It's red and developed by Stark Technology during World War II. It was at one point titled The Synthetic Man, but Johnny could probably come up with a better name. He puts on the suit and activates his arm. Suddenly, he's engulfed in beautiful and controlled flames. Johnny chuckles. <laughs> Flame on. Thor approaches Johnny and Storm, asking him how they're going to get across the whole world to an army in a battle that they might not even get on time for. Thor tells him with a wink that he has it covered. In the helicarrier over New Manhattan, New recruits for Coulson's newly formed S.H.I.E.L.D. are rushing all over the bridge. Since he's the new director, he'll need a second in command. His choice? Ned. Leeds works alongside Tony's AI, who seems distracted. Distracted as if he were looking for other files entirely. Rhodey approaches his cybernetic friend, telling him it's useless to look. Tony pretends to not know what he's talking about. Tony, says Rhodey, I've been looking for years. There's no trace of Pepper and Morgan. No files. No ID. All right, then. The image responds. Tony, I said all right. Stark snaps. R Rhodey tells him. It's just... We just got you back. 
and we don't want to see you hurt again. Tony responds, I'm a tin man now, Rhodes. No heart. He goes back to his prepping of the ship. Tom's Peter tells Andrews to communicate with other spiders. They'll need everyone for the coming battle. At that point, the door opens and in walks Wilson, who calls for Peter. Cap found something that belongs to him in the ship's brig. In walks Peter's long-lost girlfriend, Michelle. The two rush to each other, embracing. Andrews Peter smiles at the sight, remembering fond memories. Following Michelle is Peter's Aunt May, smiling, hugging, and crying. Peter tells her that he is someone he wants her to meet. He introduces her to Toby and Andrew's Spider-Man, and Aunt May recognizes them. No matter what, she'd know the sight of her nephew, her Peter. McGuire's Parker says, it's an honor, ma'am. May responds, <laughs> Peter, have you ever in your life called me ma'am? They smile. In the distance, Tony's AI looks at the reunion, sad, but happy that it happened for the kid. Peter looks to his doppelgangers, telling them that he promises to get them back to their families. At that moment, they're contacted from below by Miles. The sound of a giant crowd is heard, and they're told that they need to hear this. One of the helicarrier windows open, and the sound of chanting is heard from the people below. Spider-Men are used to booze, but this, this is different. The people of New Manhattan, they cheer the name. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Their hands pumping in the air, making the iconic hand gesture that the wall crawler does when shooting web. Up above, Peter is blown away. McGuire's Parker tells him, they love you, kid. They really love you. Steve comes to them, looking down. It's actually happened. We're actually doing it. Wilson smiles and puts his hand on Steve's shoulder. Back in the Swamplands, the pirate ship of Blade is about to leave port. The captain asks Wong if he's sure that Richards is planning on leaving. And he isn't. Where's his crew headed to? The Daywalker tells him that they might give this revolution a try, or they'll just watch from the sea. The deckhands of Mark Spector, Kurt Wagner, Daisy Johnson, and Robbie Reyes tend to the mast. They lift anchor and they set sail. Waving at goodbye at Wong is the erratic deckhand, Deadpool. We had plenty of scurvy to pass around. Deeper into the swamp, Reed is ready for his trial. He's joined by Brother Voodoo, the Man-Thing, and unexpectedly, Mordo. Before Richards leaves, Mordo begs for his forgiveness. What can he do to make right? What trade must be made for his dark deeds of the past? Reed tells him, I feel hollow inside. My son was a part of me, and he still is. That's the thing. People leave a little bit of themselves inside you. And though the majority of my being wants you to drop dead, the smaller part of him has already forgiven you. You want to make right? Do right. Mordo's shame turns to inspiration. He will. In honor of Strange, of Franklin, and of Reed, he will do right. In front of them all, the Watcher appears. It's time for Reed to leave this plane. It's time for him to enter his destiny. He looks back to Voodoo, the Man-Thing, even Mordo, thanking them. And in a flash of light, Reed and the Watcher are gone. Mordo asks where they went, and Voodoo says they went in between the pages. Mordo asks again what their next move is. The world is headed for doom right now. Shouldn't they? The master tells him that their time on the battlefield will come soon. 
Right now, like Reed, they must ready themselves for the world's change. They'll need all the mystical energy they can acquire. They head back into the swamps, where they see Iron Fist, Shang-Chi, Wong, and the rest of the sorcerers meditating. And they join. On Atlantean battlecruisers, T'Challa is on the bridge, joined by Susan, Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm, and Jean Grey, who'd they recently picked up from the House of M. It'll take hours for them to reach the country of Doomstone. They discuss their battle strategy. Logan suggests that they strike hard, fast, move in, and gut out. Cyclops retorts, saying that a new society won't prosper if it's built on the same violent ideology of the last one. That's fine and dandy, Scott, but this is war, and you don't go into battle saying pretty please. You go in making them beg, Wolverine says. Storm interjects, saying that a regime change will leave them all too vulnerable to corruption. If they are forced to kill Doom and take his place, who's to say they won't become just like him, or even worse? Jean interjects, I don't want my children to grow up knowing that their parents were no better than their enemies. What future will that lead to? A bloody one, Wolverine snarls, especially if Banner's chosen to stick with Doom. He's going to be ordered to command the Skrulls and Kree on the front lines, in front of Doom's gates. It'll be a bloodbath that he can watch from his ivory tower. But it doesn't have to be, says a Hulkling from behind, along with the She-Hulk. Jennifer vouches for their boy. He's the maestro's adopted son and a Skrull. If they give him a chance, he can try to get his father and the army on their side. T'Challa thanks him while Logan remains skeptical. The Black Panther approaches Hulkling, saying, Though your father is lost, he's done better in his life than he would admit. You are proof of that. We must give him a chance. They disperse. Hulkling walks through the corridors of the ship, passing the gym. He sees Speed running fast on the treadmill, breaking it. This is the fourth one. He's angered over the death of his mother and the portrayal of his father. He's confused and feels alone. Why can't he just let it go? Wakan enters, saying that it's because they don't have closure. They don't really know who their parents were. Hulkling tells them that he relates. He's only known his dad to be a monster, but apparently, at one point, he was a good man. It's a trip. If the twins can get closure in any way, they need to jump at the chance, Hulkling suggests. That's when Wakan pulls out their mother's yo-yo. He knows what he must do. With his magic, he summons the right enchantment upon the toy, and it comes apart on its own. Different pieces float above the teens, and they each cast different lights into the center of the room. A figure appears, a small hologram of a robot. This robot went by the vision once. It's an old recording meant for Wanda. Wanda, the vision says, I know it may take a while for you to open this, to bring me back. Unfortunately, a spell won't work. This form, my being a yo-yo, has done irreversible damage to my systems. Slowly, I'll be shutting down. But I need you to know that I'm not angry. I could never be angry with you. You're confused, but there are parts of you that I've come to know better than yourself, one of which is your strength. I know one day you will recognize your place, and you will help our friends. You will make me proud because you've done so already, time and time over. You are my vision, Wanda. Goodbye. The message cuts off, and the yo-yo drops to the floor in pieces. Speed wipes his tears, as does Wakan. Hulkling puts his hand on Wakan's shoulder. He's there for him. 
on the young Maximoff is grateful. The two's eyes connect on a deeper level than they'd ever known before. Absolutely not, yells Jean Grey. Her and Scott are in the communications room, talking to Hope and Warpath on the other end of the screen. The young couple are still in the House of M. Hope argues why she should be with the rest of them on the front lines of this battle. She's ridiculously powerful. But Jean retorts, saying that's exactly why. They don't know the extent of her power. She could very well burn both sides of the battlefield. Hope is offended by her suggestion. Scott comes in, saying that the people who need Hope and Warpath's attention the most are the mutants back home, the families, the defenseless. They need guidance in case none of them come back. We exist again, Hope, Scott says. You can make sure that we continue to. Warpath looks to Hope, saying that he's right, and deep down she knows it. Uh, okay, Hope struggles to say. Just don't come back dead. I love you both. Scott feels the warmth, as does Jean. But before the transmission ends, Scott asks Hope, who was it? She looked in his mind. So who did Doom bring back to life? At that moment, Susan joins them, asking as well. She tells Susan specifically that she will not like the answer. It's Dawn and Doomstone. Norn walks through the campus, joined by Valeria, Kate, and Nathan, the three disguised as fellow soldiers. They make their way to Doom's secret dungeon, deep below the city. They dismiss the guards of an isolated cell. They open it to find a prisoner shrouded in darkness. He's in the corner, whimpering, begging that they stop experimenting on him. Valeria comes up kindly. She tells him that they want to help. And at that moment, the prisoner recognizes her voice. Slowly, he stands up, and his height and mass are intimidating. He towers over them all. Valeria? The prisoner asks. How do you know me? Who are you? She responds. The prisoner steps towards the light, leaving orange dust with each step. It's revealed to be Ben Grimm, the Thing. Valeria is in shock, not believing her eyes. Oh, thank God, she thinks as she hugs him with all her strength. We thought you were dead, she tells him. I was, Ben explains. Victor, he brought me back. Told me that I was doing my part to fix the world. Every day, he would send scientists down here to take chips of my skin. He used the rock to build his walls. Worst part is when I run out of rock, he cursed me to grow it back. Over years and years and years, he did this. Grimm's rescuers are haunted by his story, but he's just happy to see them. He asks where Susan is. Where's Franklin? Valeria looks down, saying that Franklin is dead. Ben grows a grim look on his face, saying that they need to bring Doom down right now. Nathan chimes in, saying that the whole world is coming to them to bring him to his knees. They need to get out of there. Norn tells them that it'll be impossible to sneak out. He's getting word that up above, Doom is gathering up every citizen for an address. Up above, the maestro arrives in Doom style, meeting Victor in his throne room. The giant kneels. Banner, Doom scoffs. <laughs> I'm surprised to see you on your knees. I would have thought, due to the recent revelation, you'd be the first to come for my head. The maestro responds. I was going to, but when the memories came back, everyone looked up. They saw me, and they were terrified. They looked to the others like heroes, but not me. 
Maybe I do belong here. Doom approaches him, showing his hand. So you're still mine. The maestro looks up. Yes, my lord. He kisses Doom's hand. Norton L. asks his lordship what their next move is. The maestro will command the Skrull and Kree. They'll wait for the rabble-rousers on Doom's front lawn. As for Victor, he has a speech to make. He goes to his town square, meeting his citizens and his army on the ground. Hundreds of thousands of confused Latvarians are in attendance, unsure of Doom's godship. A giant holographic image of him appears above so that his people can get a better look. Yes, I felt it too, he announces. Some of you may call this enlightenment, and others have already considered a switch of allegiance. But before you hesitate, before your haste acts over your rationale, I'd like you to ask yourselves, what is it that I've truly done? The crowd is silent. Nothing? No one? Well, if I may. I kept the Beyonders from destroying all of us. I built a world where your potential was realized, where you never worried about war, disease, or hunger. I brought you peace. Technology, innovation, order, I brought you peace. And you may argue, I've done so by lying to you, by acting in the way previous men in power had. But let me ask, did those men ever reach paradise? Did those men ever care about you? No. No. The people are conflicted. These heroes are coming here not to bring you peace, but to bring you war. Your families will be broken. Your friends will be killed because they couldn't admit that I was right. If you don't believe me, let me show you what it is that they bring. Finally, Doom takes off his mask, showing his mangled fair ace from years ago, a wound that was caused by the Maker. The crowd is horrified by the look. Let me ask you, do I look like someone who wants to see more war? Do I? The crowd is scared but sympathetic. Had I ever needed to show you this in the past? Had I ever wanted to scare you like this? No. I love you. I love you all. Doomstadt will not crumble. We will persevere with terrible and swift cunning. Let me ask you, do you still believe? The citizens and the soldiers clap and cheer. They chant Doom's name as they surround him, reaching for him, laying their hands on him as a god. He puts his mask back on. Then prepare for battle. We will not give up, he yells. Hiding in plain sight, Norrin, Kate, Nathan, and Valeria witness the cult-like response of Doom's followers. Believe, he chants. Believe. Hours later, and miles away, the Resistance makes their way to Doomstadt, passing the oceans, now arriving on the land of the country. On the bridge of the Atlantean battlecruiser, Susan stands gazing at the horizon, but really into nothingness. The terrible truth has just been realized. Her husband, Ben, had been for years locked up, tortured, all while she was living the good life in Atlantis. Storm comes to her, speaking from the perspective of a prisoner. For years, she wanted to give up and die. But she couldn't. She couldn't let T'Challa find her dead when he would eventually come for her. Prisoners need a light. A hope. Susan is Ben's light. And she's actually making her way to him. Susan is comforted with the thought. The hope. And at that moment, an alarm blares. All hands must be ready. 
for battle, for they have finally arrived. Their cruiser stops on a mountain, overlooking Doomstone. In the distance, they see the Maestro with an army of Skrull and Kree below. T'Challa tells the mutants, the Wakandans, and the Atlanteans to prepare to go out there. He also tells Hulkling to join him. The young Skrull does so, looking back to Wakan. They wink at each other. Below the mountains are fields, miles long where T'Challa's army lines up. Okoye, Shuri, and M'Baku lead the Wakandans, while Namorita and Tiger Shark stand in front of the Atlanteans. The X-Men are there, including Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean, Iceman, Angel, Beast, Colossus, Kitty Pride, Havoc, Gambit, Jubilee, Rogue, and Storm. In front of the gates, miles away, the Maestro stands with his legion. T'Challa is joined by Cyclops and Hulkling as they head to the middle of the battlefield to meet the Maestro. In the center, the four meet. The Maestro greets T'Challa sarcastically. Your Highness, I see that you've duped my own son into your cause. But then again, Avengers are good at this sort of thing. We are not perfect, and we can't change the past. However, one man can change the present, Bruce. Be that man, T'Challa begs. Why are you here, Wakandan? We are here to accept Doom Surrender, says T'Challa. The giant green warmonger laughs, turning to his army. He yells, They got us, boys. But do they have cuffs that'll fit? The army laughs. Dad, please, Hulkling says. Don't let this be what you're remembered for. You're conflicted. I know it. In a more monstrous tone, the maestro growls. There is no conflict. You have ten seconds to get behind me and come home. Hulkling is nerved, but Scott comes to his defense, standing in front of him. You're not what I'd call a family guy, Bruce. The maestro growls. Stop calling me that! He slams on the floor, causing a shockwave that could be felt within the walls of Doomstone. Scott protects Hulkling, and the Black Panther jumps, dodging the wave. However, he grabs by the maestro in midair and is slammed into the ground. The army see this, and they charge at each other. The battle has begun. Cyclops shoots at different Krees, while Wolverine comes in, claws blazing. M'Baku and Colossus are side to side, fighting the heavy scrolls and are aided by Okoye, along with Rogue and Gambit. Kitty Pride phases through the battle, grabbing hurt soldiers and leading them to safety areas, away from the chaos. Hulkling is knocked to his side, about to be blasted by Kree soldiers, but is defended by Speed, who knocks them quickly, and Wiccan, who arrives helping him up. Storm floating above shoots lightning at some scrawl agents, but her power is mimicked by a super scrawl. She's shocked back at quickly. Havoc comes to her aid. It's pure chaos. As soldiers fight and heroes defend, Susan is in the middle, using her force field to get through the chaos. She finds Jean in the middle and encases her in a protective bubble. She tells Sue that they need to get those gates open. With her invisibility, she can sneak there. Susan was already planning it for she needs to find Ben. Jean quickly launches Sue into the air with her telekinesis. The storm zips through the air, invisible, and makes it a safe landing with her force field. She makes her way toward the hall. High above in his throne room, Doom witnesses the battle. The chaos seems so far away, but the sound of echoes through his valley, and the tremors are felt. Norton L. informs him that the tree's energy is building at 20%. They'll be ready within the hour but the AI notices his master's distracted. He inquires why. My wife is dead, Norton. My children are down there, 
fighting a war I started long ago. Am I supposed to be delighted by your report? Norton reminds Doom of his defense protocol. If he were activated, the battle would be over in minutes, and Norton could get in there, retrieving Doom's sons, bringing them to safety. Doom is annoyed by the AI's request. He says no once again, but Norton does not forget. Suddenly, they get a report from the wall, from Taskmaster. On screen, Taskmaster shows a runaway prisoner that he found, and it's Loki, with a shot collar on to prevent him from sneaking away. Doom orders Loki to him, and the god of mischief begs for his life, but it's too late. Taskmaster sends him off. The transmission ends. Atop the wall, Taskmaster sees Loki off, taken by the guards. He enjoys the god's misery and continues to patrol their defense. That's when he notices something odd through his helmet, movement that seems unnatural. Switching to infrared, he notices the figure of a woman in a sneaking position. He attacks the figure and finds it to be Susan. She was making her way to the wall. As Taskmaster attacks with his sword, she does her best to defend, summoning force fields and dodging, but the sheriff is too skilled and manages to knock her down a couple of levels inside the structures of the wall. She gets up to see Taskmaster above, ready to strike with his blade, but that, at that moment, he's knocked back from a bewildering blow. Susan looks up to see standing triumphantly, Ben. Hey babe, he says, almost casually. She's stunned, excited, and heartbroken. It's been so long since they've seen each other. She hugs him and he hugs back. She gives his rocky lips a good old-fashioned kiss. It's an unbelievable moment. One only found in fairy tales such as these. Mom? Valeria asks from behind. Sue looks back. To see her, Norn, Nathan, and Kate catching up to them. She rushes immediately, hugging her daughter, tighter than ever before. She then includes Norn in the hug. It's unbelievable. Where's Franklin? She asks them. But it's silent. Sue looks to Ben, who shakes his head no. Sue goes deep into her daughter's shoulder, tears soaking her arm. Valeria asks if she's seen Reed, but Susan has only heard different rumors, unsure of exactly where he is. But she has faith he's okay. Mom, I have someone you should meet, Val says. She introduces Nathan, Johnny's son. Baby Nathan? He's gotten so big, Sue thinks. She wipes her tears, smiling. And this, is uh, is this your girlfriend? She asks, pointing to Kate. Kate and Nathan blush, stammering, neither answering the question fully. They move on, and Susan tells them that they have to open the wall for the armies to gain access to the city. Norn says that it's not the best idea. Their battle will hurt the families inside, which will only prove Doom right to them. Ben tells them that they need to bring Doom out to the battlefield then. No reason we can't get the door for him, says the thing. Norton tells them that they can get the door open, but they'll need a lure for Victor. That's when he volunteers. Valeria protests, but Norton is right. He's the only one who can get Doom out. If he finds out that his loyal servant betrayed him, he'll go berserk and come after him. She knows he's right, and reluctantly, she agrees. The team heads atop the wall, and as Valeria watches Norn leave them, they blow the kisses to each other. Back in the battle, different soldiers are being clobbered, especially the Wakandans and the Atlanteans, who, during the beatings, are trying their best to get each other to safety. Speed comes in, grabbing the fallen warriors, taking them to a designated medical area about two miles away from the battle. They're all being treated by Beast, making do with the technology from the battlecruiser. Speed yells to Beast, Hey, Furby, can you hurry up? We need these guys back on their feet pronto! 
Damn it, kid, I'm a doctor, not a speedster, Nikoi yells back. On the radio, Angel contacts them, high above the battle, and with his bird's eye view, he sees more Krees and Skrulls charging right toward the medical area. Storm, who sees this as well, shoots lightning at the ground below the soldiers, creating a great divide between the battle and the medics. Well, that's not going to make it easier, says Hank. Speed still zips back into the fray. In the battle, T'Challa fights off the maestro the best he can, but he's still being pummeled. Cyclops and Havoc come to his aid, blasting at the giant while Wolverine claws at his back. Banner, however, treats them like flies as he chucks boulders straight from the ground to them. Colossus for comes from behind, punching Maestro in his back, and this takes him to a knee, but only momentarily. The Maestro catches the Russian's next swing and dents his metal arm. She-Hulk manages to catch up to her cousin, punching him, actually distorting him. Enough, Bruce! Enough! You know who you are! Just man up already! This enrages him, and he completely bodies Jennifer. She's left on the floor, looking up to him, whispering. God help us all. Having had enough, the monster hits the ground again, knocking everyone down to the floor. You're nothing! All of you! I'm the strongest there is! Soldiers on both sides are terrified, and for a moment, no one wants to get back up. But one does. The first to get back up slowly is T'Challa. He's disoriented, but ready to go again. The courage from him is noted by all. The maestro huffs like a bull ready to storm a red cloth, but slowly he stops, paying less attention to the Black Panther. He looks past T'Challa. The king is confused and looks behind him, as does everyone. Three miles away on a hill, the Watcher is seen. He looks at his armies, the cities, Victor. Up in his castle, Doom is busy beating Loki on the floor in front of him, but he stops when noticing the Uatu. Well, well. My old friend. At that moment, you'd imagine the sound of a horn readying soldiers for battle. But instead, the sound of an amplifier's feedback is heard echoing through the valley. It plugs in, and immediately, a wicked guitar solo starts, filling the air. The soldiers are confused, looking further into the dusk of the valley. Miles away, the mist of the mountains clears as the helicarrier from the new Manhattan appears, atop it playing the guitar solo is Spider-Punk, one of the many of Peter Parker's army of spiders from the <laughs> multiverse, all with spider armor and spider buggies. Along with them, Sam Wilson and Rogers' team. They're joined by Tony's AI, leading a squad of Iron Man armors, similarly to how Jarvis once did. On the bridge, Coulson leads hundreds of new S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, all volunteers from New Manhattan's populace. Phil leads them all telling Ned to activate the spotlights. On the nearby waterbed, Blade's pirate ship arrives, met with mist, but that mist immediately evaporates when Deckhand Reyes grabs hold of the helm while turning into the Ghost Rider. The ship is now an inflamed vessel, a craft seated deep from the waters of hell. Coming from Blade's ship and to the shores are an army of vampires ready to go to battle under his lead. On the ship, Deadpool looks to Marshala's blade, whispering, Ah, just like the good old days, huh, Wes? Under the helicarrier, portals of mystical origins appear, and coming out of them are the sorcerers of New Kamartage, led by Brother Voodoo, Wong, and Mordo. The Iron Fist and Shang-Chi enter, leading their band of martial artists. 
The Man-Thing comes out last, feeding off the nature all around them and acting as the source of their magic. Steve looks down to the sorcerers, then back to Sam, saying, Deja vu. And if you thought that was enough, you were wrong. Right near the helicarrier, the Bifrost hits the ground, and coming out of the Asgardian portal is Thor and Jane, leading the Asgardians, the Novas, and the Eternals. Johnny flies up in the air in flames alongside the Blue Marvel. The two join Carol, ready to fight. On the floor, Cassie comes next to the Valkyrie, Hercules, Ares, and Miss Marvel. The Wakandan, Atlantean, and mutant armies cheer at their arrival. The cavalry has finally arrived. Doom, looking from his palace, is for the first time in years worried. Up atop the helicarrier, Sam looks to Steve, asking if he'd like to do the honors. You're the one with the shield, kid, Rogers says. Wilson gets a microphone, accessing the helicarrier's PA system. He announces to the armies, to his friends, to Doom. Avengers! But he's cut off by Thor, whose godly voice booms louder. Sam looks to Steve, and he shrugs. Thor continues. Brothers! Sisters! Thor announces. Today! Today, we've returned. We finally fight. We finally die. Die for love. Die for hope. Die for freedom. The armies cheer. Die for the dead. The armies cheer louder. Die for Richards. The armies cheer louder and louder and louder until finally the cavalry charges into battle. The spiders, the patriots, the pirates, the vampires, the Asgardians, the Novas, the Eternals, the sorcerers, the fighters, the oppressed, the heroes, the Avengers. They charge, puffing his chest, the maestro roars, charging right at the armies. His scrawl and tree Cree join. The mutant and Wakandans and Atlanteans continue the battle, but this time, it's more wicked. Up in his tower, the overlord is infuriated by the sight. The sights of revolution. He turns to Loki, still beaten below. You think your brother will beat me? You think he even get a scratch? No, says a voice from behind. That would be me. Doom turns to see him floating on his board, Norn, who blasts him with an unprecedented amount of energy from the cosmos. Victor is thrown to the floor, weakened. He lays in front of the casings of his other suits under Yggdrasil, which is still building up energy. Norn looks at the opportunity to not lead Doom out in the open, but to kill him. Whether it be justice or vengeance, all it will cost is one life compared to the thousands outside. The Silver Surfer continues blasting Doom while he's down. Loki slowly takes to his feet. The Silver Surfer yells as he causes the pain. It's unimaginable and long coming, blasting and blasting and blasting. Doom yells to Norton, succumbing to the torture. Norton, activate your protocol. Are you certain, my lord? Asks the AI, almost casually. Do it! Doom groans. The AI does so, activating the defense protocol, which immediately feeds him into one of Victor's displayed armors. And then, all of them. The suits break through their casings, all lifting their arms and blasting Norman right out of the room, where he falls all the way down into the city. Norton also pins Loki to Yggdrasil, stapling his hands on the bark. The god yells in pain, for he's going nowhere. The suit stands at attention, ready for their next order. Victor gets up, slowly saying, oh, Thank you, Norton. Ah, yes about that, the AI responds. 
if you rearrange and bend some of the letters in my programming, before the computer finishes, one of the leading armor steps up, losing the cape and cloak, rearranging some of the metal body parts, specifically the head, adding a long, sharp antenna on both sides, along with what looks to be a monstrous mouth. He continues, You would know, my lord, that I prefer Ultron. Doom is shocked. He's now in a defensive stance, realizing this whole time he was lied to. Tony Stark's creation, the murderer of his mother, the reason for Victor's vengeance has been his personal computer. It's always been Ultron. And there are five other armors surrounding Victor, all controlled by the AI. Doom starts to chuckle, saying how he knew it wouldn't be Richards who'd kill him in the end. This is almost poetic, but at that moment, all the armors bend on one knee to Doom. Ultron swears his allegiance with the utmost sincerity. Forgive me, Lord Doom. You are my world. The world I was trying to create years ago. You are the most effective shield that humanity has ever seen. And now, like the children they are, they want to grow up too fast and try to take over the work that you have started. Ultron looks up to Doom, but I know better. Without you, they're doomed. Victor is hesitant, but should I trust a conniving series of code like yourself? Ultron responds, If I were lying, I would never see perfection. Doom takes a moment, then says, When we're done here, I will turn you into scrap for the commoners to make trinkets of. You still are the murderer of my mother. The armors get up simultaneously. Then you'll have plenty of scrap. Ultron pulls up a live feed of the castle's garage, where bodies of Ultron armor and massive weapons have already been in the process of being assembled. The armor lines up in formation near the window, ready to fly off. We'll find your boys, my lord. They go off, leaving Doom, who knows deep down he's just made a big mistake. Down on the city's main defense, Doom's Deathlock Squadron are left to defend the wall. That is until they're met by Susan, the Thing, Nathan, Kate, and Valeria. The family fights while Kate finds herself positioned to shoot down on enemy soldiers. Above their fray, Quinjets of different variety attempt to break the perimeter but are shot down by the giant overseer, Galactus. As Susan and Nathan fight side by side, they still take the time to get to know each other. She asks him about his interests and is excited when she hears about him being an archaeologist. She suggests him to look up Mary Leakey, a famous archaeologist who found a Proncosol skull, which is thought to be an ancient human ancestor. But before she can continue, she notices coming from Doom's castle is the squad of Ultrons. The squad sees the family atop the wall. They aim and fire. Susan acts quickly, covering as many of them in a force field as she can, managing to grab Ben, Val, but not Kate or Nathan. The force field falls down to the battleground below. As Nathan falls without any protection, Kate, still above, shoots a roped arrow to him, and when he catches it, the rope snaps. Now, he's a goner. That is until he's caught midair by his father, the Human Torch. Johnny brings his son to the ground safely, both hugging each other. Sorry for the way they both acted. They should have believed in each other more. Nathan tells his dad that there's something he has to see, and coming from behind, is Valeria, Ben, and Susan. Johnny is shocked, unable to speak at the sight of his family. 
He hugs Valeria first, ecstatic to see her, then Susan and Ben. Having thought they were dead for so many years, the three of them hug. It's weird for Ben to see Johnny almost his age, but right now, they have to go back to help their friends. Now, they're in superhero mode. It's an inspiring sight, especially for Nathan. Seeing his father flame on one last time means everything to him. Before they go, Nathan is met up by Kate, who asks how he is. She was worried in a way she wasn't before. Nathan chuckles, blushes, and then diverts the conversation, saying he needs to get different tech. For the blast disabled his, Johnny will take him to someone for an upgrade. The father and son take each other's hands and fly off. Before they head to the war, Ben asks about the wall and how they open it now. At that moment, the giant doors start to open and Sue, the Thing, Valeria, and Kate run, making their way to the battle. Out of Doomstone comes giant cannons and soldiers operating them, all developed by Ultron. The devices of horror make their way to the battle. We cut to Rogers in his mechanized suit and the AI of Stark fighting side by side, just like the good old days. They're surrounded by a plethora of Super Scrolls and Kree. They take as many out as they can until the enemies are silenced by a godly blast of lightning. Landing next to them is Thor, who yells, GUYS! The Odinson hugs them both, lifting his old friends in the air. I'M A FATHER! Letting them down. It's back to business. They notice the great cannons in the distance, and hovering above, Ultron himself, joined by his five other armors. Hello, Ultron says to Tony. It would seem the father becomes the son, and the son, the father. You're not my kid, Easy Bake, Tony responds. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about my sister. Morgan, would you like to know the sad story behind her and Mommy Dearest? Ultron and his armors raise their blasters towards Stark, Rogers, and Thor. The three get ready, especially Stark, but Ultron is interrupted when above, Johnny lets Nathan go, where he falls right on one of the evil armors. Nathan hacks into the suit, trying to gain access. The other Ultrons divert their aim to him, and Tony calls his Iron Legion to protect Nathan. When he's blasted away, Nathan takes a bit of Ultron tech, and an Iron Man suit catches him. Now, he is in a suit with Stark, Doom, and Ultron technology infused. Tony tells him, let's get him, Iron Lad. Now, Rogers, Thor, Iron Man, and Iron Lad fight off the Ultron bots, taking them out quickly. This worries the main Ultron, who orders his cannons to aim for the enemy's medical station. Let's see how your humanity lasts against three tons of inflamed metal, he tells them. The Ganons fire, and the rounds are sent to the Beast's Hospital. Wong is there with Brother Voodoo and their wizards, casting shields that will hold for a while. As more soldiers make their way towards the wounded, they are met by the gunfire of the Punisher, Winter Soldier, and Rhodes in a newly designed War Machine suit. Though there's a good defense, it won't hold forever. And Peter Parker notices this as he dodges the attacks of a Super Squall. He orders his spiders to make their way across the battlefield to the cannons and bring them down. Maguire and Garfield's Peter Parkers lead the hundreds of spiders from the multiverse away, which Ned sees on his monitor in the helicarrier above. Ned also notices that there's something coming in from the east. It's big, breaking the sound barrier, and it's headed right for Peter's location. And then, slam. A giant blast in the middle of the battle, creating a crater. Rising from the smoke above Peter is a giant green 
thorny monster. Its shoulders are inflamed, and an insidious grin takes place. It whispers, Parker! Peter responds, And you are? You killed Harry! And Peter realizes it's Osborne. The serum actually did work. Before he can finish his thought, the green goblin slams into the ground, just missing Parker. He thinks he's alone, but Miles and Venom come to back him up against Norman. I'll eat your heart! Osborne yells. Miles whispers, as if one Hulk wasn't enough. We cut to Kate, who's managing her way through the battle, shooting arrows at as many enemies as possible. She makes her way near the backside of the maestro as he fights other heroes. She aims right for his head, but she's stopped by Wolverine, saying that it's not a good shot. Kate, still with her vendetta towards Logan in mind, aims for his head. Logan apologizes. He does remember Clint's death. He didn't know what he was doing back then. None of them did. But it doesn't change anything. If she wants to shoot, then shoot. Kate is reluctant, but finally she lowers her bow. At that moment, the maestro's fight affects them, and Rubble makes their way towards them. A big rock hits Kate in the shoulder, popping it out. Logan comes to her aid, picking her up and giving her to Angel, who flies her over to a medical station. In the air, Nova ships fire upon scrawling Krees. They're led by Captain Marvel and Blue Marvel, both flying and blasting different enemies down. Carol notices down below that the maestro is still causing major damages to their forces, so she decides to help with the load. The maestro slams T'Challa right into the ground, punching him straight in the face. Wolverine and Storm come from behind, blasting lightning and clawing at Banner's back. But this only makes him angrier. He grabs Logan by the leg and chucks him at Storm. Landing now, Thor and Jane come in, hammering the maestro at his knees, bringing him to the floor. Thor approaches as a friend, telling Banner to calm down, but he's headbutted, and Jane is slapped across the face and battlefield. Now, Carol comes down, blasting her energy, but Banner treats this as a nuisance. He then grabs Carol by the throat, squeezing. Cassie comes up, not wanting to fight. She begs him to let her go, and tells him that the death of her father and Hank Pym wasn't his fault. Just let go. He kicks Cassie away, bringing her arm. Speed comes in, helping Cassie to her feet, speeding her off to the medic station. Carol is still in the monster's hand, the light from her eyes going. Excuse me, says a rocky voice from behind. The maestro turns to see the thing. I've been waiting for my turn. The thing punches Banner directly in the face, forcing him to drop Carol. Susan comes to Carol's aid, creating a force field where she can catch her breath. Ben walks up slowly to the maestro, crackling his knuckles, loosening up, almost excited. Let me ask you something, pal, Ben says. You got the time? What are you talking about, freak? Says the maestro. <laughs> Actually, it's clobbering time. The match of the century. Ben Grimm versus Bruce Banner. The thing versus the maestro begins in the medic area. Cassie is being treated by Beast, giving a stimulant and a mechanized brace. She'll be ready to go back in the fray in no time. She notices that Kate is also there. She tells Lang that she's surprised about how far she's come, all in the name of making right by her daddy. Kate can relate on a certain level. Maybe she was too hard on her before. It takes balls to go and try to talk the maestro down. 
the two are approached by Speed, who zoops in with Wakan and Elijah, the Patriot. Elijah has to take a minute so he doesn't throw up from the super fast trip. Hey guys, I met this really cool dude who had a plan to end all this, says Speed. Elijah is better and tells them that they can sneak in the city since Wakan and Speed know a different route. Why didn't they use this route before? Because an army is a bit conspicuous. A small band of teenagers wouldn't be too noticeable. Cassie, Kate, Wakan, Speed, and the Patriot agree. They're ready to go. Up in the helicarrier, Coulson notices odd readings from the underground near the Great Wall. One of Tony's suits scans the area and finds under Ultron, building more and more suits, taking the scraps from the battlefield and building an endless army. They have to end it right now. Tony, Quinjet, and the helicarrier fire, cracking the surface. Then Daisy Johnson Quake comes in, using her inhuman ability to quake the ground, burying the garage. No suits are coming out of there anytime soon. At that same point, Maguire and Garfield lead the spider army in bringing down Ultron's cannons. All well webbed up, they simultaneously pull, and down goes the tools of destruction. Sam Wilson manages to catch up to the main Ultron body. He has shield in hand, ready to destroy this last robot. But Ultron chuckles. <laughs> you thought a garage was my final gasp? A human really does lack a certain imagination, doesn't it? What are you talking about? Sam asks. It's pronounced diversion, says Ultron. They're often used to blindside enemies, especially when you have something grander in mind. At that point, the body of Ultron falls right in front of Wilson. It's completely lifeless. Sam is confused, but then Ultron's voice is heard, booming over the country. Over at the Sentry Galactus, the being's colors shift. It moves differently, and Ultron continues to speak. But this time, it's from the giant. Now, I am death, the destroyer of worlds. The garage was a ruse the whole time. Ultron was uploading himself to the body of Galactus. Now, he has full control. He leaves the city of Doomstadt, passing the palace. Victor is absolutely horrified. Ultron breaks through the wall effortlessly and starts blasting down soldiers below. Immediately, Coulson orders fire upon Ultron. Missiles, Quinjets, cannons, everything. Not a dent. Ultron's fire affects both sides. Down on the ground, Susan, along with some sorcerers, use their shields to defend as many as they can from the attacks. Skrulls and Kree are also being killed. It means nothing to Ultron. Hulkling sees this and carries his Skrull brothers and sisters to safety. In the distance, he sees his father continuing to cause havoc, forcing the thing to the ground. The son runs over, finally ready to stand up to him, and tackles the maestro. Look at this! Look around you! Hulkling yells. This isn't the way! Your own people are being hit! Banner looks around, and yes, he's horrified, disturbed, and ashamed. She-Hulk gets up from the rubble, looking to Bruce. She nods to him, signaling that this day of death has gone too far. Just breathe, Dad. And he does. He calms down. He realizes his pain doesn't justify the horror. Neither do his regrets or his grudges. He gets up alongside his son. I'm sorry, he says. My god, son, I'm, I'm sorry. Then he orders his scrawling Kree to prioritize their safety. Help the Avengers shoot that thing down, he yells. The Skrulls and Kree are confused, but they follow their orders. 
Now, the Skrulls and Kree join the Novas while they shoot at Ultron. Banner looks first to Grimm, helping him off the ground, and then he looks to Hulkling, both nodding. Jennifer joins them, popping her arm back into place. The four monsters go deeper to help the injured to safety. We cut to Peter, who's punched to the ground by the giant goblin. Miles jumps in, using a venom blast to stun Osborne. Venom himself then comes in, nearly matching his size. He uses the second to lay in some blows on the goblin. Once the goblin regains control, he smacks away Miles and uses his protruding bones to stab Venom right through the chest. Brock yells with a howling roar. Peter yells for him as well. It's heartbreaking. The goblin drops Venom to the floor, dead. Osborne comes up to Parker putting his foot on his chest and starts to punch and punch and punch. But while they're unaware, the symbiote crawls off of Brock, making its way over to Peter. And with each punch, it's closer. Finally, the symbiote crawls on Parker, encapsulating him, taking over, creating a completely black suit with a white spider on their chest. The next punch that Osborne throws, Peter catches. Now, with unbelievable strength, Spider-Man throws the goblin away. He jumps, swinging towards Osborne, and lays a punch that immediately knocks him out. This suit, along with Peter's will, is something else. He helps Miles to his feet, and Miles tells him, That looks fresh, Pete. Entering the battlefield, Ultron is attacked from all sides, but he barely notices them. Who's the first to be eradicated? Ultron decides, Why not start with mutant trash? He aims directly for the X-Men and other mutant fighters and lays fire upon them. Angel and Iceman do their best to save their people, alongside the Nightcrawler, who teleports some away, and Kitty, who phases them to safety. Colossus uses his metal body to protect Rogue and Gambit. Storm shoots lightning at Ultron, not even grazing him. Due to a blast, Jean is knocked away, but in Scott comes to her aid. He looks away to see different mutants being vaporized by the giant's blasts. It's swift and terrible. Away in the House of M, the Morlocks are settling into the community. Hope Summers unexpectedly falls to her knees and is helped up by the warpath. She feels the lives lost and looks through Scott's mind to the battle. She sees the terror, the chaos. I need to do something, James, she says. Warpath replies, you know what they said. You can't risk the Phoenix. I won't risk it. I'll lend it. Hope's eyes turn red inflamed, and the sound of a bird's call can be heard. She lifts her hand, and back in the battlefield, Scott and Jean raise their hands the same way. The daughter and her parents are connected, and finally, the phoenix rises. A beam of cosmic fire shoots from Scott and Jean directly towards Ultron. The force knocks him back some. Down near his steps are the young Avengers. They jump away from his dropping boot, which makes a giant crater. The chunks of rubble fall near them, and everyone gets to cover, except for Kate. She's too slow, and the boulder is too fast. It comes headed right for her, until the rock is caught by the Iron Lad. He places it down and gives Kate a big ol' kiss. In response, she slaps him, but then kisses him back. Elijah says that they won't be able to get past Ultron, even with the mutant cover. That's when Cassie looks up, whispering, This is it. She looks to Kate. This is my moment. I'll cover your guys' way to the palace. Stature winks to the others, especially Kate. The Patriot, Wakan, Speed, Hawkeye, and the Iron Patriot head to the palace. As Cassie Lang activates her growth protocol, she's now the size of Ultron. 
and gives him a defining punch. That was for Dad. I have access to recordings from that day, Ultron says. Scott Lang died the way he lived, as a joke. Round two, asshole. Stature punches Ultron again, and the titanic brawl begins. In the city, Carol crash lands due to a blast from the air battle above. She gets up, dusting herself off, and ready to fight again. But before she flies off, she notices in the distance, Norrin, limping away, using his board as a walking stick. She comes to him, offering her help, but wary since she remembers how their last encounter went. Let's just say, not that well. Norrin remembers her, and he breaks down. He had a chance to kill Doom. In fact, he was killing him. That much energy could have caused a supernova if Norrin didn't know what he was doing. But while he was attacking Doom, all he could think of was all the people Doom had forced him to kill. His own people from Zenlaw. He couldn't muster it up. Carol tells him, No one wants any more of this. But we haven't won yet. And you are a bullet. If you're mad as hell, I'd aim right at the big guy out there. Because he's just nuts and bolts. Norn and Carol look to the distance where Ultron's Galactus can be seen decimating. A spark flickers in Norn's eye, and he knows she's right. He gets up on his board and builds a mass of energy. On my mark, he says. Carol reaches to her earpiece, letting everyone know when to strike on Ultron. And then, the Silver Surfer moves at a tremendous speed right for the giant. He soars when blasting at Galactus, and he manages to cause major damage to his defenses. Ultron has to take a knee. Now, Carol yells, and at that moment, everyone fires upon Ultron. The helicarrier, along with Nova, Skrull, and Kree battleships. The Eternals make formation, blasting energy, along with Cyclops and Jean with the Phoenix Force. Kashi pushes him into a crater that Quake created, and his foot is trapped. Stark tells everyone, that they have to fry his circuitry, which means they have to get the shielding off him. The Silver Surfer does so, knowing exactly where to hit. Some armor chips off, and a lightning blast comes from Thor, Jane, and Storm. Ultron shakes and manages one blast at them, but he completely misses. His head goes down. Everyone stops firing, unsure whether he's done or not. He chuckles devilishly. <laughs> Doom will watch over me kill you all. Any last words? A roaring is heard as the maestro leaps right for Ultron's giant head. He yells, HULK SMASH! The Hulk punches right through Ultron and Galactus's shared head. The body falls, causing the ground to shake, and the armies cheer. Up in his throne room, Doom could care less. He looks to Yggdrasil, with Loki still pinned on. Their cheers are anticlimactic. This war should never have been. My wife, she should never have died. He looks to Loki. You, my little friend, you may know my anger. The children below, how would they know what it's like for God to lose everything he ever cared about? The computer notifies Doom that the tree is at 89% completion. Very soon, the power of the multiverse will be accessible to him. But a voice is heard from behind. Doom! It's the young Avengers standing at his door. With shield in the Patriot's hand, Hawkeye's bow and Iron Lad's armor aimed right for Victor, and Wakan and Speed there standing nervously. Elijah announces, You're under arrest. Victor sees his son there. All that's left is his mission. 
the teens stand at the ready, but behind on the tree, Loki begs for the kid's help, and Kate sees him, horrified. She cuts him down, asking if he'll reconsider his position on helping them now, and humiliated, Loki does. Wakan and Speed beg their dad to stop this before more people end up like their mother, like his wife, but Victor is too far gone, and the energy is at 97%. Dad, says Wakan, as he pulls out his mother's headband, this is all that's left of her. See? If you do this, there won't be anything left of you either. Please. There will be more, son. Doom responds. Yggdrasil is now at 100% energy installation. And with that news, Victor raises his hand towards the power of the multiverse, absorbing it all. The power is so great, all he can do is scream. The Patriot leads Kate, Iron Lad, Wakan, and Speed to stop him. But before they can even reach, boom, the throne room explodes and a great fire and smoke rise for all near and far to see. T'Challa is with Rogers, Wilson is with Thor, Stark is with Parker, Cyclops is with Jean, the Hulk is with his army. Everyone below, in the battlefield and on the ground, sees the devastation above. Falling from the decimated high tower are the young Avengers, falling right with the rubble. Iron Lad flies down, catching Kate, Elijah, and Speed. Loki comes falling right on Nathan's back, which makes it harder for him to fly. Falling past them is Wakan, unconscious and with no aerial support. Wakan! yells Speed. The boy falls faster and faster to the ground. Near all the descending rubble, it looks hopeless. Until he's caught by green arms in midair. He wakes up, looking to see his savior, and it's Hulkling, with giant wings on his back. Wakan mentions, You didn't have those last time I saw you. Hulkling responds, It's the perks of being a scroll." The Iron Lad catches up to them, and the teens fly their way down to their allies. As Elijah lands first, Wilson comes up to him, asking what happened up there. Where's Doom? All they know is that the palace exploded, and that there are still people in the city under the fallout. Loki comes in, approaching Thor, who gives him a big bear hug for getting about their past conflicts. Brother, he's absorbed Yggdrasil. He's unstoppable now. And the more energy he uses, the more damage is done to the multiverse, Loki warns. Peter Parker chimes in, saying that they need to help the survivors of Doomstone, and he'll send his spider army as first responders. Spider-Man 2099 leads Noir, Penny, Ham, and the rest of the army towards the city. Rogers tells them, that they're going to have to get ready for a fight with Doom. They have to take him down quickly. At that moment, the sound of giant thunder echoes from the destruction of Doomstar. Smoke follows. The heroes see in the distance, approaching from his crumbling castle, his desolate city. Victor, emanating a green aura, with a damaged cloak and a beaten-up armor. The armies follow King T'Challa's defense position. Doom approaches the heroes, as Steve Rogers once did against the Legion of Thanos. Though Victor's walk is more of a limp, he's more powerful than ever. Wakan and Speed are terrified. The first one of all the gathered heroes to communicate with Doom is Susan. Victor, she says. Susie, he growls. I see you found my little secret, he jokes while pointing to Ben. It's not too late, Victor. Not too late to stop this she says. <laughs> you just fought a war. A dark, secret war. People died moments ago. And here you are, with Reed's optimism. His belief in people, Doom snarls. 
T'Challa steps up. You are outmatched, outmanned. You've lost to mere mortals. Maybe you should start believing. Doom growls. To the contrary, your highness. You've just made my case. Doom uses his power to conjure portals in the sky, windows to other parts of the multiverse, different versions of the Earth, the solar system, the Avengers. Cassie sees a world where she and her father are alive and well, as does Kate with her and Clint and the kids. Steve sees him as a young man with Peggy Carter, and Scott and Jean see a world where Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher are young men leading their own first class of X-Men. Wakan and Speed see a world where their mother, Wanda, is alive and well with her brother, Pietro. Look around. The chaos, the death. It's what we're capable of. Now imagine multiple copies of us with the same capability. The multiverse grows and more potential threats and enemies grow with it. You'd call me a monster for scaling them down? Doom asks. We'd call you a monster for convincing everyone that you're God and you can do no wrongs, says Captain America, Sam Wilson. No one proved me wrong, Captain. No one, he responds. Now, let's start already. Doom opens a portal above his enemies, dropping hordes of zombies and bug monsters called Brood. Other portals bring in Dark Elves and Chitauri soldiers. The armies break formation and fight frantically with T'Challa keeping them all together. In the chaos, a zombie of his cousin Killmonger appears, fighting for him. Captain and Blue Marvel work together with the Novas and Eternals to blast as many of the monsters away as they can. The X-Men claw, blast, and pummel the Brood down. Asgardians work to help the Wakandans, Atlanteans, mutants, and sorcerers out of danger. Blade orders his vampires to grab the zombies and divert their bites the best way they can. The Hulk roars and charges directly for Doom, passing all the other heroes. As he raises his fist, Victor blasts him into a nearby boulder with ease. Now, the sorcerers, Voodoo and Mordo, work together, blinding Doom in an elastic spell. But the god breaks out easily, knocking the wizards down. Victor has Voodoo in his sights, ready to kill him, but as he blasts, Mordo stops it. He pulls himself and Mordo in the mirror dimension, where he can do no harm, but Victor breaks it, sending the shards of mystical glass right for him. The sorcerer falls to the floor, cut hundreds of times. Voodoo comes and grabs him, and Mordo is dead. Doom whispers, useless. Now Jean and Scott come together, ready to use the last of the phoenix energy they've been lent. They blast right at Victor, who just redirects the flames towards one of the portals in the sky. Another universe has been destroyed. The couple are shaken by the sight, and Victor blasts them, unconscious. The Valkyrie alongside the mighty Hercules and Ares use their muscle against him, landing multiple blows on the god. But this does little but disturb him. He headbutts Ares and uses his head as a shield against Hercules' punch. Valkyrie gets a cut in Doom's armor, but he still slaps her away. It's Wakan and Speed's turn against their father. The young magician blasts everything to distort him, while Speed rushes in, landing hundreds of blows on Victor's lower torso. Enough, he yells. At that point, Victor breathes fire to get the children away. He just misses Speed, who yells, whoa, 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 As the speedster manages to get away, Doom backslaps Wakan to the floor. As more energy is used by Doom, the ground shakes, as does the rest of the universe. It's breaking. The next challengers, 
The first, an armored Avenger. Approaching is Steve Rogers in his battlesuit, alongside Tony Stark's AI. Victor is now enraged. Stark! Do I know you? Tony nonchalantly asks. You killed my mother, along with hundreds of thousands of other Sokovians. Actually, Victorious, that was your bouncer. I was the one who stopped him. Doom chuckles madly as he asks. <laughs> when you went online, I'm sure you looked for your family, just like I did. You know what happened to them? What I did to them? How I burned Happy Hogan and Pepper and Morgan Stark alive? Of course, back in those days, they were Craig Stoke and Alicia and Terra Noble, citizens of New Manhattan. How'd it feel, Stark? The AI has never felt before, but his first emotion, rage. Let's kick his ass, says Steve. Doom's ready to blast at the two, but suddenly, his hands are caught and webbed from behind. He looks back to see Spider-Man pulling. Peter is joined by the other two Parkers, Miles, Gwen, Silk, and Spider-Woman. Doom struggles against the spider's pull. It's an all-out tug of war. In the battle between the heroes and monsters, near them, Sam looks over to Steve, telling him to catch. He throws his main weapon, and Rogers holds the shield one last time. Ready to go to work, Mr. Stark? He asks. Hey, I'm just glad to be on this side for a change, Tony responds. Together, Captain America and Iron Man beat on Doom in a similar fashion to how Rogers and Barnes did to Stark years ago. Their punches, along with the spider's webs, force Victor to his knees. Stark's armor, and especially Cap's shield, break pieces of Doom's suit. When Rogers hammers his trustworthy weapon on Doom's helmet, the face covering breaks, revealing his mangled visage. No! Victor screams as pure energy pours from his being, blasting the spiders, Cap, and Iron Man back. I will execute you all, one by one, starting with you three. Victor points at Susan, Ben, and Johnny, pulling them away from the fight with his mind and forcing them to their knees in front of him. Valeria manages to push a zombie off of her, screaming for her family. This moment is all too familiar to Franklin's death. Nathan also sees this while in the air, he rushes to save his family, but is caught up by Brood. Now the conjurers of thunder gather to the air. Thor, Jane, and Storm together blast the biggest lightning blast in history directly at Victor. Doom absorbs it and redirects the energy towards the human torch, the thing, and the invisible woman. Their shrieks are deafening, so deafening that it's heard echoing in the universe. And then the multiverse. We cut to the in-between where we see Reed Richards floating in a meditative position, completely bearded. His skin reflects the light from passing galaxies and stars. The Watcher's voice is heard, whispering, It's time. As he tries piecing together the sounds of the screaming, he instantly recognizes the voice of Susan in pain. At that moment, his eyes open and a blue light pulsates past his lids. Back in the battlefield, the chaos, the lightning, and the war is interrupted as a giant blue blast erupts in the middle of the sky, seemingly out of nowhere. All that's left floating above is Reed. His face relaxed and aged. He raises a hand in a sympathetic manner towards the zombies and brood. In T'Challa's grip, the zombie killmonger breaks up piece by piece. The enemies as a whole deconstruct into atoms, disappearing. The heroes suddenly have no one to fight. They all look to Richards as he floats down. Sam, 
Bucky, Scott and Jean, Logan and the X-Men, T'Challa, Storm, the Peters and the Spiders, Thor and Jane, Valkyrie and the Asgardians, Blade and his pirates, Steve and his patriots, Elijah, Cassie, Kate, Wakan, Speed, Hulkling, Banner, She-Hulk, Voodoo, and Wong, the Sorcerers, Man-Thing, Stark, Coulson, Icarus, and his Eternals, Blue Marvel, Johnny, Ben, Sue, and Doom. The Ultimate Alliance looks up to him. He lands very lightly in front of Doom. Victor is in shock and is no longer shooting lightning at Reed's family. Susan, Ben, and Johnny get up, approaching Richards. They're ecstatic to see him, especially since it's been years since the Fantastic Four has been reunited. He moves past them, approaching Victor as a friend. Doom is ready to fight, but he'll be disappointed, because Reed is not there for conflict. <laughs> is it time? Time for you to grow your nerve? I killed your boy, Reed. That's what I did, says Victor. Yes, you did, says Reed. But he doesn't want me to kill you, Victor. He and I want you to see all of us, as I do. Reed quickly puts his hand on Victor's forehead, showing him different images of different worlds, different visions, the variety of existence. We see flashes of different universes, including one where all of our heroes live in the year 1602, one designated as Earth-X, one with a giant Hulk played by Lou Ferrigno, one with Blade played by Wesley Snipes, one where Wolverine wears a black leather suit rather than a yellow leotard. One where the heroes of Earth aren't Avengers, but instead, a League. Worlds where he and Reed remained lifelong friends. His mother lived. His love with Wanda flourished. They grew old together and watched Wakan and Speed grow. Infinite possibilities. Millions of worlds rush through Victor's mind. And suddenly, Reed lets go. Doom is left, looking down tears dropping from his eyes. He looks back up to Reed. I wasted so much time. You were right. You were always right. Now Victor releases the power of the multiverse and distributes it to Reed. The energy took a toll on him physically, and his body is now just a shell. As he falls, Reed catches him, and Wakan and Speed hurry to their father's aid. Richards passes his boys, the body. Wakan asks what's happening, and Doom tells him that the amount of energy he's used over the years up till now has taken a toll, worn his body thin. Victor apologizes to his boys, saying that all he ever wanted was his family to be protected. I could have been so much better, he whispers to them. You have to be, Wicon. Speed. Please. The two princes, crying, nod to their father. They will be better. Victor looks past them, noticing a figure that only he can see. It's this world's devil, Damon Hellstrom. He's joined by Wanda Maximoff and Victor's mother. In his last moments, Victor smiles, feeling a warmth he hadn't in years. And after a few last breath, Victor Von Doom dies. His boys lower their heads, and Hulkling puts his hand on Wakan's shoulders, then hugging him. Reed, with his head down, looks to his friends behind. Susan, Ben, Johnny, and the rest. You'd imagine the heroes near would cheer, but their class shows. They all stay quiet. The Man-Thing looks around to the destructed area. He lifts his arms, releasing glowing spores into the air, acting as a sort of remembrance for those fallen on this day, and a healer for the beaten land. 
plants grow, vegetation is slowly coming back. And that marks the war finally ending. Fade to black. Fade from black. We now see the remnants of Doomstad. Buildings knocked over with rubbles spilling out. Some civilians are trapped until helped up by heroes dressed in spider gear. The citizens are wary of their help, but eventually they accept it. We see different heroes from the battle, helping people find their families, leading them to the medical attention and food. Cassie helps people alongside Hope. The two look at each other with both their father's memories at peace. We cut to the rest of the world in celebration. Liberty triumphant. In New Manhattan, statues of Doom and Osborne are pulled down by the Patriots. Daredevil pulls along with the help of Cloak and Dagger. Luke Cage and Jessica hold their baby girl, watching as Frank Castle jails members of Norman's Sinister Six. In New Xandar, Professor Brashear smiles as he watches this city and university rebuilt. It's a chance for higher learning and opportunity for anyone from inhuman to an alien. In the House of M, Scott and Jean watch Hope as she uses the Phoenix Force to rebuild their home and bring new life to the wastelands that surround. Soon enough, the Savage Land will be home to new communities of mutant and human alike. Together, the Hulk and Hulkling help rebuild homes for mutants, literally lifting the buildings. Some of the citizens are frightened, but Banner is there to prove himself as a friend, along with the rest of the Hulk clan. She-Hulk oversees thousands of different ones around the House of M, working with mutants to make a better home. For the first time in a long time, Hulkling is proud of his father. Logan sits on a porch with a beer and cigar, watching his fellow X-Men flourish and reunite outside of the battlefield. Approaching him is Kate, not with her bow, but with her own drink and stogie. She joins him, and Logan is relieved. The two clink their drinks and enjoy the view. Doomstadt is rebuilt as a new haven for Asgardians and Eternals. We see the Icarus clan training the military alongside the Valkyrie. Watching the sunset is Thor and Jane, joined by their newly born baby girl, Torin. What was once Atlantis now stands a country for both Atlantean and Wakandan to work and live together peacefully. Namorita, Tiger Shark, Okoye, Shuri, and M'Baku train a new generation of both species. Above their training ground, a newly planted tree producing the heart-shaped fruit that gives the Black Panther its power. T'Challa himself has retired the Black Panther, allowing his mantle to pass. He's done what he needed to do, leaving an unforgettable memory and legacy that will continue with truly heroic ideals. From now on, He'd much rather spend the rest of his days with his queen. He and Storm hold each other, looking down to their dream. A country of true unity. In space, Carol leads the newly founded Sword, an organization occupied with Nova, Skrull, and Kree. Their mission? To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no hero has ever gone before. We cut to the battlefield outside of Doomstadt. It was once a barren wasteland, representing the aftermath of a war that should never have been. Now it's filled with grass, crops, and a memorial for those who fell that day. Hundreds of stones for Asgardians, mutants, Skrulls, Kree, Novas, Namor, Mordo, Venom, Franklin, Wanda, and Doom. Looking at the stones are Wakan and Speed, who grab each other's shoulders. 
true brotherhood is shown. We see in Doomstadt, Yggdrasil being repaired thanks to a new route provided by Loki, along with Brother Voodoo and Wong. Surrounding them are hundreds of sorcerers, summoning energy to help the tree heal. Approaching is the Man-Thing, who opens the branches and stem of the tree, encasing himself in it. He will now act as the new heart for the plant. The access to the multiverse energy can begin anew with the power of him and Stephen Strange. On the shores of Doomstadt, Thor sees Loki off as he joins Blade's crew. A pirate ship seems to be a perfect setting for him. Wade Wilson comes up to the god of mischief, caressing his chest. Rich as guardian leather, he says. The god is bothered. We cut to Reed and Doomstan, who uses his newfound power to close the portals in the sky, sending the universes back home. He opens dozens of portals in front of Peter Parker and his spiders. Members of his spider community go through each one back to their universe, their homes. 2099 waves goodbye, as does Noir, Ham, and Penny Parker. Miles and Gwen are next, but they both hug Peter before they lose the opportunity. Together, hand in hand, they go to their respective universes. Last up, the two other Peters. Garfield's pats Holland on the back, saying that he's unbelievable. The amazing Spider-Man swings on back home. Now for the original. McGuire's Parker comes up to ours, smiling and proud. He looks behind and sees Holland's Aunt May and Michelle. I'd give you some advice, but they're waiting for you, kid, says the original. Gotta get back to my own MJ. And then, like that, he's gone. Peter is approached by Michelle, who takes him by the hand, and though goodbyes hurt, Parker can't frown now. He can only smile. Up in Coulson's helicarrier, Phil and Rhodey approach Tony's AI, who's busy refueling their engines and reconnecting the power converters. He acts very distant. Rhodey is conflicted to tell him, but he has to. Tony, it, it's true. What Doom said about Happy, Pepper, Morgan, I'm sorry. Tony is silent. Coulson adds, but we had some pretty crafty engineers work on something that may prove that you're not as cold as you might think. Rhodey plugs a new USB drive into the computer system. New holograms are formed, and it's of Happy, Morgan, and Pepper. Tony's AI is shocked, silent, and unexpectedly, somehow, the computer sheds a virtual tear. Coulson and Rhodey smile. Tony looks to his friends. Prove me wrong. Together atop the helicarrier, Sam Wilson and Elijah Bradley stand, looking at the city of New York below. Wilson tells him that he did his grandfather proud. You got the makings of a captain, he tells him. Really? Elijah asks, filled with pride. Sam chuckles as he walks away. Trust me, kid. I got the eye. Elijah watches him walk away, specifically eyeing the shield on his back. Maybe, just maybe, one day. Around the corner, Sam meets with Steve on a cane and Bucky. Got the eye? Fury was the one with the eye, Bucky teases. Steve chimes in. That moment was a bit familiar. You thinking of giving him the shield? Sam is quiet until he says, No, I don't think I will. Not yet. Wilson and Bucky help Steve down the hall. He tells the youngsters that back in his days, hallways weren't so long. The two laugh, with Bucky saying that back in his day was also his day. Wilson asks if they're going to remake Grumpy Old Men. We cross-dissolve to the next day, on what's left of Doom's throne room. It's an uncleaned mess, but boy, 
You can't beat that view. On the veranda, Reed stands, taking everything in, joined by Tony's AI. You know, I saw you speak once, Reed says. MIT. You gave the college several grants for multiple projects, including mine. Hope the money was worth it, Tony replies. Reed chuckles. <laughs> in a manner of speaking, yeah. Changed my life. In a good way? The AI asks. Reed replies. In a fantastic way. Approaching the two, Coulson along with Susan, Ben, Johnny, Alicia, Nathan, Valeria, and Norrin. Stark pats Richards on the back and leaves with Coulson. They're leaving conversation about how they're both now cyborgs and whether they're run on the same batteries or not. The family is left, asking what's next. Reed tells them that his work isn't done. The multiverse is still fractured. It needs to be cemented again. It's why he called them there. To say goodbye. Valeria is surprised. What do you mean goodbye? We, we just got you back. Reed has to go back in between and expand it. He has to release the energy he's absorbed. Only then will reality heal. Otherwise, he'll stay a god. And look what got to them before. Ben asks how he knows this. Reed didn't spend a couple of days in between. He spent millions upon millions of years in there. Reed has witnessed so much. The birth of universes, the end of them, different versions of himself, his family, and Franklin. He's seen the cracks and tears. The multiverse and themselves are no different. They are reoccurring pages, flipping in an ever-written book. Johnny asks if he'll come back once he's done fixing everything. Reed is quiet until... No. Because no one is ever really gone. The family is heartbroken. This is the last time they will see Mr. Fantastic. Reed comes up to Johnny and Alicia, hugging both. He whispers, You've come so far, Johnny. I will never stop being proud of you. Johnny, he just can't hold back his tears. He lets go, now looking to Nathan. Now, last time we spoke, you were having your doubts about the future, Nathan. I've seen many versions of you. Artists, craftsmen, conquerors. Allow some insight. He taps Nathan's forehead, and the teen's eyes go white, but only for a second. The next second, he's completely enlightened. Johnny asks what he saw, and with a smile, Nathan tells him, He showed me the future. Nathan is now filled with hope and excitement. Reed comes to Valeria and Norrin, hand in hand. Valeria begs him not to go. She lost Franklin. She can't lose him. You haven't lost anyone, Val. Trust me. I'm on my way to see Franklin right now. With a smile, he hugs his daughter. He looks to Norrin, who is completely ashamed, based on his actions in One for All and Doomsday. It would be hard not to. Reed tells him that there's nothing to forgive, and with a tap, he takes away Norrin's silver skin. The Silver Surfer is no more. He's back to his original form. Norrin is astonished and hugs Valeria, yowling. Richards comes now to Ben. No words are needed for this one. The two just hug both happy to see each other for the first time in years. Best friends till each other's end. Now it's Susan's turn. She turns away, hiding the tears. Reed manages to get a look at her, and he wipes them away. She asks him why, with his new power. Why didn't he just make everything back to the way it was before? Before all this destruction? The war? Reed tells her that it's because Franklin was right. This new world is people's home. They just fought for it. And look at the potential that they struggle to produce. 
they have a chance to rebuild humanity in a way they could only dream of back in MIT. Susan is that chance. Prove them, Susan. Prove them right, he asks. You could stay. They could learn from you, she responds. I was a teacher. Now I'm an explorer, Reed tells her. Reed and Sue hug one last time, and he manages to give her a goodbye kiss, one that meant everything to both. He walks away, closer to the edge of the veranda. He looks back to his family with a smile on his face. You know, there's a word for explorers, one that they would say when they found something incredible, unimaginable. But what is that word? Reed chuckles, and he tells them, Excelsior. And with that, Reed Richards lights up blue, and slowly his body turns into different particles. The dots of light lift in the air and slowly evaporate. Below the world's first family watches as our hero develops into the unknown, all hand in hand. Nathan eyes on Johnny as he hugs Alicia, Norn holding Valeria, Ben with Susan's head lying back on his chest. As particles disappear, the sun sets on a new world, a better world. Fade to white. Ten years later. Our final scene opens on a classroom. A classroom of the recently established university in New Zandar. Its title? You guessed it. Reed Richards's Future Foundation. A school for minds of all kinds, species of all kinds, built for everlasting insight and innovation. The campus is filled to the brim with former refugees, inhumans, mutants, Atlanteans, Wakandans, aliens, and so on and so on. Professor Adam Brashear gives a lecture regarding how particles shift when casting spells. His class is bright, young, and promising. And once he approaches the juicy part of the monologue, he's interrupted. Professor Susan Storm comes in the class, telling him that they have an emergency, a capes and masks type of emergency. Brashear tells his class to do the reading until he returns. Him and Susan walk through the hallway, loosening their ties, finally entering a teleportation room. On the stand, they beam out of the school and into Coulson's helicarrier. The helicarrier is completely staffed, with agents moving back and forth, preparing for their new mission. Now in the super suits, Blue Marvel and the Invisible Woman ask Coulson what the emergency is. The director tells them that swords made first contact with the Shi'ar Empire and they're under threat of a warring nation from the planet Breakworld. They've asked for humanity's assistance. The AI of Tony Stark appears. Where's our Little League team at? He asks. The door to the bridge opens, with a team of costumed adventurers entering. We see Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, Cassie Lang, Stature, Shuri Udaku, the Black Panther, Speed, or nowadays, Quicksilver, Wakan and Hulkling together, with matching rings on their fingers. Hope Summers, the Phoenix, Torin, Goddess of Thunder, Nathaniel Richards, Iron Man, and finally, Elijah Bradley, Captain America. The older generation smiles at the next. Elijah tells them, Avengers assembled. The end. Wow, man. Everybody take it in. Take it in. Man, crazy man, <laughs> crazy. My first initial thought is that I think it's a monumental piece of fan fiction, wholeheartedly. Mm. I think it's you're writing it. It's you're writing at at its most uh, ambitious. You're writing at its most vulnerable, and um, 
I think your writing at its most emotional too. I loved everything you did in there. Every, every little thing. Um, I love the fan service elements. I love the subversive nature elements of it as well. And I also love just the, the powerful narrative I thought throughout from beginning to end, you know? Um, yeah. Every single aspect about this, I was just blown away by. And, and I, don't even get me started on the ending because I thought the ending was absolutely spectacular, man. I mean, from the very beginning when um, Rita's like, I'm ready to end this, I thought to myself, hell yeah, man, this is outstanding. And it's because of these pitches, like I said, my love for Reed Richards has never been more than it is now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait to see more of Reed Richards. I can't wait to see Reed Richards in the MCU. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, my love for the character is greater than it ever has been before. Um, I loved when they freed Wolverine. I thought that <laughs> scenario was freaking awesome, man. When he finally brings out the bone claws for the first time in years and Wanda uh, allows everybody to get their memories again. I thought that was a very powerful scene. And I love how that was like basically the antithesis of when she was like, no more mutants, her bringing everybody, her, her giving everybody's memories and saying like you deserve to know i thought that was just such a beautiful like opposite of that uh just spine tingling moment in comics you know what i mean in that house of m storyline i i really love that moment a lot i love um i also love that like mm-hmm. even someone as powerful as like thor it wasn't basically wanda who gave him that memory back it was jane telling him i'm pregnant you know you're going to be a father that 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 feeling of love is what kind of brought him back and was like, I need to remember what side I'm on and, and what's right. And that's to die for Reed Richards. Right. I also love that line too: die for Reed, die for Richards. You know, it's like that for Frodo moment, you know, and it was just so amazing. Totally, totally in the vein of return of the King. I thought with everybody coming in, I, I can't believe you managed to put in, that many characters like way more characters than we have in like the lord of the rings trilogy and and be able to make game yeah and be able to make it work like that as well i loved what you did with norman osborne norman osborne's origin i thought the idea of him getting the serum uh to overpower dr doom was very innovative and interesting and i also love that it was like it it was a, a an experiment that went wrong on him which changed him you know and and it it was all also boiled up by the rage that he had towards Peter Parker. I thought that was fantastic as well. Uh, I love the revelation of Ben Grimm, you know, being alive and being tortured for that many years. I thought it was very smart for you to use him as basically the barrier of the walls that Dr. Doom wanted to use. I thought that was very tragic and made it all the more impactful when he was able to do what he wanted to do for, for years, which was, clobbering time baby yeah look at that that that's just such amazing artwork from from alex ross i wish alex ross would do this whole freaking pitch man that 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 would be a dream come true that would be insane man i'm editing the 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 first part right now and Mm -hmm. uh i just wish someone would score this bad boy (laughs) right yeah i know like an original score for this storyline itself i think would be pretty awesome ultron's comeback unexpected and Epic, because to be honest, I know a lot of people would agree that that Doctor Doom is the greatest Marvel villain, 
and clearly he is. But I had always had Ultron up there with Doctor Doom. Ultron is just for me. He's he's just so intimidating, and it almost seems impossible to defeat him. And he's literally crazy, and and can kill the Avengers with ease. So I always had him up there. So for you to bring him back, upload himself into Galactus, I thought was awesome man like awesome like it really did feel like you made a live action ultimate alliance like setup film you know and i love those games so he really gave me those vibes i love that um also the way you use phoenix force think about how many times we've seen the phoenix force in comics and the movies you know done and done and done again i really love the way that you use phoenix force here very reminiscent of how the guardians when they would hold on to the power stone I love that only Gene, Scott, and Hope were able to channel the Phoenix Force and connect it in a way where they could use it for a positive um, force of nature. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was pretty epic as well. And it was really cool to see God Doom go against everybody. And the visual imagery, I thought, was very great as well. I really loved that. I loved him opening up the portals. I loved the zombies coming in, the Chitauri, um, you know, et cetera. Different universes coming in. I thought... That was like, yeah, how do we top Endgame? How do we top Infinity War? This is exactly that. This is the next step to do that. This is what (laughs) the way you do it is you make the Justice League canon. (laughs) Exactly. You make the Justice League canon, man. But I'm telling you, really, where I fell fell in love with this the most is when Reed comes back. And when Reed comes back, you I think the audience expects like him to wrap himself around Dr. Doom, punch him in an epic way or stuff like that. But no, I, what I really loved about that final showdown is Reed shows and offers Dr. Doom a new perspective, right? This yeah. new perspective that he's been trying to <clears throat> convince him of for years. But now Reed is so certain of how he views not just the world, but the universe and the multiverse. He, he sees it as like this beautiful place where, yes, you know, things happen where, you know, tragedy occurs and it's inevitable. But when you really think about it, the beauty of life is that it is, it's finite. So maximize your time. And when you do lose somebody, no one's ever really gone. Right. So in that one moment, when he puts his hand on Dr. Doom and he shows them all those universes, which by the way, beautiful, man, beautiful. You, you see the previous Marvel films that we've seen in real life as canon, right? You know, Hugh Jackman's X-Men, Wesley Snipes' Blade. And you also see that moment where Dr. Doom sees a happier uh, universe with himself and the family that he's grown to love and nurture. And how could he take that away from his own self, you know, or from his loved ones of that universe? Mm -hmm. How could he destroy other universes? So it, it gives him this new perspective where he's, he, he realizes that he was so close to becoming a hero, but he was just so unfortunately misguided. And now he's basically wasted his life and has served really no purpose. And I really love that about that. It's not an epic fight. It's a, it's a huge epiphany revelation between two icons, Reed Richards and Dr. Doom. Yeah. And I thought that was awesome. Awesome. Because it deals with my favorite themes, especially time and uh, love, really. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't, I, I think I made it a rule to not kill Dr. Doom. I didn't want this to end that way. I didn't, it just, I feel like him being murdered throughout this would go against the, the, the reason these heroes are there, right? The mm-hmm. reason they're there to fight, you know? 
and uh, Reed's not going to kill him. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You know, I, I don't like that idea. So I was thinking, you know, how are we going to do this? How, how are we going to make that happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought it was very clever and compelling. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's uh, what a, what a pleasure to be a part of this experience. And, you know, first, right before everybody, <laughs> you know, what a, what a pleasure it was, but I guarantee you're going to have a lot of people listening to this and they're going to share their thoughts. It's epic, man. It's epic. You really, you really created a gift for, you know, people to um, expose themselves to, and they're going to, they're going to love it. Yeah, man. I don't, oh God, this is, this is wild never thought I'd get to this point. I mean, I, I went full on nerd with this crap. You know, I, I drew maps of the place, you know, listed locations and, yeah. and uh, who ran those locations. You know, I went, I went for it, man. Yeah. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. Really specific. And like I said, awe inspiring, a monumental piece of fan fiction. Those, yeah. And you if go. you're, if you're a Marvel fan, this is something you need to check out. Well, I hope they did because that's how they're here. Yeah. That's here at this point. Uh, yeah. Well, Angel, once again, thank you so much for listening to, to my rambling and to the stories. Uh, it means the world and uh, man, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. That it, we're actually, we're finally here, man. Wow. We're finally here. How does it feel to get it right? If it, it feels right. <laughs> uh, it feels unbelievable. Um I didn't, I never thought I'd get to this point. Never thought that I would get to this point. And, uh, yeah, I, wow. It's, it just kind of feels unbelievable. And, and I, I have other stuff to do today, but it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> like yeah. it, that's how it feels. Yeah. Truly was epic. And I, I just loved seeing it all play out in my head. I, Yay. You know, I'd really love seeing it all play out in my head. You know, Andrew Lincoln is, uh, read for sure <laughs> there you go there you go that's that, that's who i had in my head and it's perfect man it's perfect well that well that's another thing i'm i'm excited about you know people's interpretations how they visualize it mm-hmm. you know whether they think oh maybe it could have gone this way this way this person is that uh, i'm i'm excited to hear what people have to say man yeah yeah jesus really uh, oh well thank you um I think that's it. All right. Well, that concludes this epic series finale. Thank you all so much for listening and watching. You all make this community the greatest of all time. If you want to be a subscriber, please feel free to subscribe and join our channel. We have over 3,500 subscribers, and we can't wait to have more of you on board. Because like I said, you make this community the greatest of all time. My name is Angel. I am Julius. And this is the GOAT Movie Podcast. Thank you so much. The GOAT Podcast is proof you don't have to look any further for movie news, reviews, trailer reactions, or special discussions. Subscribe, get notified about what's going on, and I promise you'll be entertained by our daily content on YouTube. If you want more, we're on Twitter at GOAT Film Podcast, Instagram The GOAT Podcast, and The GOAT Movie Group on Facebook. Get connected with us, see what's happening, and make sure to love it while you're doing so.